at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I'm joined by Sif Pop staff writer, Shane. Hello, everyone. And contributing writer, Chris. We write for SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best ever challenges, lots of other interesting movie-related articles. Make sure to website, check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. Shane, of course, is our like top contributor. He's got uh, what seems like a review coming out, what, like three, four times a week, mostly? Especially when we had a lot less writers. True, true. A lot of reviews. But, yeah, no, it's, but it's, it's, Shane, Shane like finds all these movies that I'm like, I never heard of that. And then it's like, oh, that's actually, like, there's been a lot of them that have come out this year that it's like, oh, I've never heard of that. And then like, I'll read Shane's review. I'm like, how have I not heard of this? Like, it's going to be, um, did you do the, re- I'm trying to remember if this was you or somebody else, but did you do the review for a thousand and one? I'm trying to remember I if I did. I, but, well, but like, that's I, one of those movies that like, I never heard about. And then all of a sudden, like everybody's giving it five stars on Letterboxd. It's like, oh shoot, sure. You want to get emotionally devastated, watch Thousand and One. So there's quick review. Uh yeah, that was you. I just there searched it on the site. He writes so many he doesn't remember. <laughs> well to be fair, I've seen five hundred films this year, so it's been a while yeah, since one came out. The the real the real hard part in the behind the scenes glimpse here is that Shane will send us reviews that are like, Hey, uh, this doesn't come out for two months, so it can't be published until this day. And it's like there's no like images like to make graphics like there's no information even about this movie that Shane's already seen and wrote a review on it's like oh yeah that well, Carlos uh, Santana documentary still uh cooking there waiting yeah, that's another the, month before it comes out that's what well and there's like there's no image there's no promotional images or anything so I can't make a graphic and schedule it until pro- probably it's time to publish it so yeah it's always works. fun when I'm making my thumbnails for my channel too and I'm just like wait there's not a poster for this movie yet what am I supposed to do with this yeah well they probably send you promotional materials right they don't always have them mm. even when they send out the screeners that's the fun part is when they still don't have a poster then. Yeah. Especially Chris, for uh, those small productions, then they just don't have the budget to give everyone swag bags and stuff like that. Oh, well, I never get any of that fun stuff. But to be fair, that's Sony that made that Carlos Santana documentary. I'm like, oh, yeah, they now. should have some money. Uh, you should have a poster out already. Yeah, they have. They're too uh, busy making the next Vio. Sorry. <laughs> Chris has also uh, d- done some stuff for the site. He's uh, mostly uh, like a regular contributor to the BEC and then some other like random articles that we have. But he's been uh, dipping his toe recently in full-length reviews. Astro City, most recent one, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as usual, the release schedule over here is different from uh, the American release schedule. Mm-hmm. Mostly for the big movies, obviously. We get them at the same time, but yeah. If you have an entire staff of contributing writers all able to watch the same five movies in a month, then yeah, the uh, the reviews aren't going to be uh, as spread out as possible. So every once in a while, I'll be able to get one. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like sometimes still Chris winds up watching the movies before me. I've uh, I've got twenty one this year, and I'm proud of that so far. Um, twenty one new movies. Yeah, twenty one new releases this year. I don't I'm even know what I'm at. Um, I just had to check Letterboxd, but yeah, I'm like, cause, cause I was probably like, 
I think I was at like 21 in December last year. Like last year was a really bad new release watch for me. But, you know, I'm trying to stay on track of it now. And I've got maybe like 15 movies on my watch list. I don't, I'm a little bit more selective on what I'm trying to watch just because, you know. I'm currently at 18 for this year. I've been slowing go. down a little. I haven't watched a movie before um, the movies for this podcast. I hadn't seen a movie in five weeks. Wow. But the reason for that is our spinoff, so... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and no, I just like I, I'm trying to be more selective with the movies that I watch because like I don't have time to watch everything, and so it's one of those like if it's not going to be worth my time, uh, <laughs> at least like I'm not going to rush to see it. Like I'm still like mildly curious in like Haunted Mansions, but I'm for sure going to just wait till Disney Plus and I have a free 90 minutes or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, you and the rest of the movie going audiences apparently. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, and, and like, I didn't get around to no hard feelings, but people like that one enough that I think I'm probably going to check that one out. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, Asteroid City, I still haven't got around to. That's just on me. Um, but like, it's on Peacock now. Like, there was a couple movies that I was like genuinely really excited to see, and then like all the reviews came out, and they were like didn't like or okay or less and uh like strays and it's like yeah cool i'm not worried about seeing that one anytime soon now or um that movie so much <laughs> you and everybody else um well, apparently not everybody else i saw a decent amount of like three stars and i'm like yeah i, w- I was done of the basically the poop penis and piss jokes after like five minutes mm-hmm. and that's what that movie is for 90 minutes and i'm just like well Ah, uh, that 90 minutes is gone. Move on with my life. <laughs> There's okay, uh this is why that movie didn't sound uh, familiar to me. Over here, that movie is called Doggy Style. <laughs> That's a better title and more fitting. I would have given it more credit if it went with the title of Doggy Style, but That's no, it did not. That's amazing. <laughs> no, there was like a, there was a movie that came out earlier this year that I remember being pretty excited to see. And then I remember like the, and then I was looking on letterbox to see like if I should still like have it on my watch list. And it was like, nobody had it above a three stars. And the Sif pop review was like a one star. So it was like, 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 like champions was one of those. Like that wasn't as harsh review, but everybody was kind of middling on it. And I was like, Oh, that's a shame. Cause I was actually really excited for that one. It's um, a fun time. So like, like, it's exactly I like what you expect it to be. Right, and I like I don't really want I don't really want movies that do that anymore, you know. Unless it's like, oh, it's exactly what you expect it to be, but what you expect it to be is John Wick shooting people for three hours straight. That's like, yeah, absolutely, that's what I wanted, you know. Um, so you know, but I don't I don't really want the oh yeah Woody Harrelson teaching basketball at a kid's orphanage thing, you know, like uh, no kid uh, whatever. I don't I don't remember. I'm getting I'm getting that movie confused now with the um, that new Alexander Payne movie coming out in December. The holdovers. Yes, that's the title. Because they're now, both about um, like teachers doing things. Well, Woody Harrelson's a disgraced basketball coach who teaches like a special Olympics group of kids how to play basketball at a YMCA, and they're actually a lot funnier. <laughs> the best part. Uh, that cast, the cast of the young adults that they get to play those players is are fantastic. They're certainly worth watching the movie. Especially the one um, yeah, I, I can't I can't remember what the other movie was, but there was certainly another one that I was like really excited about and wound up taking it off the watch list because apparently it sucked. But you know, just is what it is now. Um 
on the podcast today, we're going to talk about uh, Brawl and Cellbox 99 and 310 to Yuma. We'll do a best ever challenge of prison movies. I have a feeling I know what our number one will be. Although, I don't know. There's a wrench in the system um, that we realized beforehand. So, I don't know. It's probably between one of the two. Um, anyway. Um, prison, best ever prison movie since both of these movies kind of deal with prison. And um, we'll wrap up with the spinoff. Uh, but first, let's get a chance to talk with uh, Shane and Chris a little bit more this week. Um, as mentioning new releases. Uh, the big news of the week is that Dune finally got pushed back, um, which I think was hilarious because it got pushed back on the day that Empire like teased that they were gonna like reveal a bunch of stuff for it the next day, and so like they announced Dune's pushed back on the next day. Empire still like promoting the movie. They're like, "Where the hell is ready?" Like, like you couldn't wait at all. Uh, so I mean, they can't not release a magazine. I know, right? But I mean, I like, feel they like at that like, point, it's literally like less than twenty four hours beforehand. They're like, "Well." Screw us, then. That's why I feel like Empire was probably like, man, like, couldn't you wait one day? Like, because, like, Empire's not a small magazine, you know? Like, they're a small publisher, so. Yeah. I'm sure that looks awkward for them. Thanks for the exclusive, Warner Brothers. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so it's, um... (laughs) So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting time here. I, I guess I'm mostly curious... It feels like Dune was kind of the big one, that it's like, if Dune gets pushed back, that's probably the first domino to fall. Um, what do you guys think is going to happen after this? Um, uh, because, because also I feel like by them pushing back Dune at this point, that, that says to me that the studios are not confident that the writer strike is going to be over by the time Dune was supposed to release. So what is, what, what do you think that means in terms of you know, the strike in the future or whatever, uh, future of film or whatever. And what, what other movies are not getting released this year that you thought would be getting it? Or at this point, like, do you think that, I think that I'm I'm actually really scared that this is looking like tw- going to look like 2020 in cinema where we're just going to get a lot of like big releases just get sold to streamers because streamers don't promote it as much and you could put anything on there and say hey this is new and it'll be the number one streaming thing in the world you know so like I'm really curious to see if this is going to go like 2020 where like until the end of the strike just because everybody's holding on to their big stuff until they can make money or um you know, and then they're selling some other things just to make a buck while they can. Um, but then I think that's also good because that's going to get a lot of smaller movies a chance to shine. Um, but that's just my like initial thoughts. And again, it just it doesn't bode well to me on the studio relationships to the <laughs> strikes happening right now. What do you got? What do you guys? What do you guys think? I know. I think it kind of depends on obviously like the first thing is studios want their movies to make as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Warner Brothers is not confident that Dune will make the money it needs to make without the actors promoting it. It's a well I mean, when you have that caliber of actors, right? Yeah, but I mean, as you said, like selling your your product to streamers, like a lot of these publishers now have their own streaming service mm-hmm. that is its own free advertising. The day it drops on the streamer, people turn their stream on. They see that there's a new movie. That's usually all the advertising you really need for it just to get people to see that there's something new. Um, I think it it makes a lot more of a difference for those studios that don't have their own proprietary streaming service. I think it's a lot more interesting what they're going to be doing in this situation. But I mean, they've, they've been very clear about this, that they do not, that they're not necessarily looking for this writer strike to be over from the studio side. You know, they've been talking about you know, wearing them down and making sure that they have to leave their homes and come crawling back. So the way this is going, I don't expect anything to be resolved anytime soon. Yeah, I um, 
you brought up an interesting point, Aaron, about the streaming services, which I didn't really think about them trying to buy films. I don't think it's going to go that route this time in terms of a lot of films getting sent off to streamers. I, if we're thinking completely from like the business aspect of this, I'm sure the theaters are not happy. Yeah. At right as right like when they started making money again. Yeah. And right now we're going to September. It's not going to be a great month for box office because September is usually not. And it's just going to get worse if all these films start getting pushed back again. And I don't know if theaters can handle this twice in four years because they were already in pretty bad shape to begin with. Um, it's interesting. I think it's going to be more a film to film thing. I don't know if we're going to get a giant wave of films being pushed back. Like even Warner Brothers didn't even push back their movies that come out a month after Doom. Like they have yet Bola and Wonka. So like, I guess they're thinking, well, it could potentially be done by December. So at least we'll have that. I'm, I'm also like, are people going out to see Dune for the cast? No. Is it Dune? Well, that's getting them in, and well, also because this is part two, right? If it's the first yeah. one, I understand it a lot more. Part one was a huge hit, you know. During uh, but, COVID, but also they need to make as much money as they possibly can because Dune one didn't because. Well, COVID. it's very interesting seeing AT and T Warner Brothers versus Discovery Warner Brothers handling this situation. Seeing mm-hmm. as AT and T's like, you know what, this movie it did make a decent amount of money. With it being on HBO Max the same day. So that was dumb of them doing that, obviously. And now Warner Brothers is like, we're going to protect our product and just push it. It's interesting because I'm trying to think of some of the other big movies. And the film that I'm probably most excited about as of right now is Killers of the Flower Moon. Which is a weird situation because it's co-produced by Paramount and Apple. Yep. Paramount's going to be mad if it doesn't get in the theaters. Apple's not going to give a crap. They don't Mm -hmm. promote their things anyway. It just kind of just drops. So it'll be interesting because, you know, I think the streamers are just going to release their movies no matter what. And they'll be happy once it gets on their streaming services and they can make all that attention there. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little surprised. I know it's only been like a couple of days since that happened, but no other studios have budged since that happened so unless it's a delayed reaction nobody else seems to be prepared to be like well got to push this back now so i mean i, I think a lot of waiting i think everybody was just kind of waiting for dune to happen but like there was certainly a lot of big a lot of big name projects that were pushed back like i'm looking at the schedule right now and like you know they pushed back um like that ghostbusters afterlife sequel had already been pushed back um uh, the color purple had already been pulled from the release calendar um, trying to think of other ones that are the Ghostbusters one though. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I wonder if that's just like it was but always going to get pushed back anyway. Issue. Yeah, yeah. I don't think but, Sony was ready for that one. No, I don't think so either. But they did push it back after the writer strike stuff, uh, or after the strikes yeah. had been done. Um, the actor strikes, busy. I guess Color hmm. Purple hasn't been pushed back yet, but it's no it's going to be. Um, um, I know one movie that definitely is is Aquaman because I'm pretty sure a final film doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, probably, and also let's like let's not forget Aquaman made a billion at the box office, and I'm sure they're trying to capitalize on that again. There's no way it makes uh, another billion. Uh, they'll be lucky if it makes a couple hundred million dollars at this rate after Flash right. completely imploded 
And... Well, Blue Beetle is doing pretty okay, but no, Yora... it's not. Well, for a new hero, it's already well based off of projections. It's probably going to drop below Barbie this weekend Oof. in its second weekend. That's Blue not because Blue Beetle's pretty okay. I, mean, I enjoyed it, yeah. but I don't think uh, anybody wants DC related things at the moment, as it appears, based off of the box office. Killers of the Flower Moon is that really weird one that I'm just not sure what's going to happen with. I could see Apple just buying Paramount out and them just releasing straight on Apple TV Plus and and then indie theaters, you know, like they did with Coda and other Apple original movies. I could see Apple just buying Paramount out and Paramount just taking the money and running because it's not like this movie is going to be a box office hit anyway. Um, Probably not. Scorsese hasn't since Wolf of Wall Street, so... I'm I'm just like I'm looking and like I don't know how many of these movies like either are going to rely on actors promoting them or are going to rely on like like there's a certain number of them that I think are gonna rely like are like like this none too like surely they don't care whether or not people are promoting that or not well, like that comes out in two weeks anyway so it's just gonna right. drop and they're like it's a horror movie you'll see it right. They don't. They don't need the actors to pr- be promoting Saw X. They're going to make the same amount of money, you know, this October as they will next. Um, the big uh, one's probably going to be the Marvels, though, right? I don't. I don't know. Like, I think Marvel's not going to because because that's such a like a timeline thing. Like, if they push that back, then they have to push everything else back. Like, yeah, I, I think, but well, they and already the pushed isn't everything huge, else back. Like the Marvels isn't a huge property. I don't see them pushing well, it back. Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, well, well there's no way that the Marvels is. Well, well we know that all of their it's movies. not like this is the next you know Captain America movie or Iron Man four or whatever. You know, it's, it's not. not but like... all of Marvel's projects do cost like two hundred million to make, and it'll so make at least. they need to make money. <laughs> so they know they need to make money, and I don't. I don't think their last couple have been doing all that well. No, so but I think they that's need a win. Highly indicative of the quality of filmmaking. But. Well, true, but well, you know, if you if you have that declining quality, and then you also miss the opportunity for proper promotion with your actors being out there to actually sell the movie, what what's that going to do well, to your I returns? Think realistically, they could probably push it back to May because Deadpool's definitely not coming out. It's not no. done. Yeah, right. they they so, interrupted filming, so right. So I think they have the legal room to be able to do that. And I, I think I guess I back, just don't know when the next one is. But yeah, if they want to push it back to you know February or yeah, I guess even May. Would that be the next one? I don't yeah, know when the next one is. Or would it be after the they reshuffle everything? Movie? They push that back to like July or something already, based off of their last schedule shift. So Deadpool three was supposed to be the next one after the Marvels, and it's not done. So, right. so what? What we I, have so I then guess, is the upcoming season two of Loki, then yeah. that Marvels movie, and then do they have another show in between, Echo? or is it just? But they ooh, can tell ooh. they don't have a whole lot of confidence in that since they're yeah. dropping in one day around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um. I just I don't think it's a great situation for Marvel to release that in November. November. Yeah. So yeah. I would um, be surprised if that gets pushed back again. And if there's see, nothing else in the way, they could just you know push it a couple months. I could see this Hunger lot. Games one getting pushed back. Um, I could see Trolls or maybe even Next Goal wins. I could see maybe either of those being picked up by a streamer. I mean, Trolls is NBC, so it just goes to Peacock. Well, if Next Goal wins, 
would go to Hulu, I guess. Isn't it Searchlight? I think, I think so, because yeah, Taika typically does Searchlight. Yeah, because, yeah, they could just drop it on Hulu. But, like, it, it, like it's not like that one was going to make a ton of money, and there is a good enough demand on it. I think a streamer would really like it, so I wouldn't be surprised if that one goes straight well, to streaming, or maybe we might see some day and uh, like, well, maybe not day and day, but maybe how about give it, I mean, like, look at, like, the Meg 2 was in theaters for three weeks, and now it's on Voodoo. You know, maybe it's, like, next goal wins would be two weeks in theaters just to make a little bit of money, and then it'll yeah, go I there. I think a lot of the studios at this point, it's, if it doesn't make $50 million opening weekend, it's on a streamer or vo- mm-hmm. on VOD within 17 days. Yeah. So... Meg made its money elsewhere. Definitely didn't make money here. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure they're happy with their hundreds of millions of dollars, probably from China, to be honest. But It feels like uh, the like the, the, the three biggest dominoes yet to fall are, uh, just again, I'm thinking of awards contention stuff, are um, Napoleon, The Color Purple, and Ferrari. And Napoleon's a streamer, too. It's Apple. So. Oh. Hmm. Oh, I guess I, I don't know what's streaming and whatnot. I just like am looking at a release schedule. Because both that and Killers of the Flower Moon are supposed to get actual theater releases, but they're also both produced by Apple. So, so they're Apple doesn't care. So that one will just remain as normal and it'll make whatever. Apple doesn't need the theater money. Um, they, they more so want Apple TV money and people are going to. Well, and it's an interesting thought. Like if all these get pushed back, is it going to affect the Oscars? Are they going to change the window again? From I, the end of December, because if I enough of them stay, I don't think they will. Because like, if Killers well, of the Flower Moon and Napoleon don't move, well, you have that. Those two in Oppenheimer, they're like, well, duke it out. Well, the Academy is everyone, though, right? I don't think the Academy would push a, a submission window for something that the studios are deciding. Right. Like, that's not, that's kind of my thing because. It's not it, COVID it, where, you know, the whole planet was, was on its it was for It was a safety concern yeah. for them to pull. And theaters were closed. Theaters are open. This is studios deliberately missing the Oscars window. So, yeah. No, so that's where I think. I, I think if the Oscars adjust, that is not the right move. That is that is wrong on them. Well, if a, so. a bunch of these movies get pushed back, Christopher Nolan's probably sitting there like, I'm going to win all the Oscars. I mean, he might already anyway, but... Um, Which is very true. Oppenheimer's definitely pulling ahead in a lot of categories, but it'll be interesting. It'll be... So, this is going to be another weird fall. Yeah, I just... I just Thanks, I just believe, kind of like Chris said, if... if Well, but as, as Chris... Like, the Academy is, like, the filmmakers, right? Like, I don't think that they are going to side with the studios on, on moving the windows. I think they're going to be like, no, like, they're, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think the Oscars changes whether, you know, and, and if they do, then um, bad on them. Yeah, it would just face. be a year where you could put an asterisk next to every Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't because, again, it's not like like I feel like you can put an asterisk next to them in the 2020 awards because of theaters being shut down and all that but, or 2021 yeah. awards, I guess. Um, yeah. But no, at this point, it's look at a lot more smaller movies and maybe give, you know, people their dues who. Right. Been doing great work without it being blown up in uh, in the magazines and on on the actual big screen. So, yep. well, they've yeah, all, all those Coda all those little guys that have been working so. like Christopher Nolan. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to nominate a couple others, <laughs> no matter yeah. who you give it to. So that's fair. That's well, fair. we'll see how this all plays out. It'll be an interesting fall. 
Speaking of seeing how things will play out, let's play a little bit game called Wavelengths. Uh, since we are nice not doing segue. any coming attractions, thanks. Uh, <laughs> since we are doing any coming attractions until the end of the strike, um, uh, we have been kind of inserting this in here because this is a little bit of fun. Um, so the way that we're that this game works, if this is your first time joining for a while, is um, I have five genres here. And so the way this works is that one of us um, will not know, two of us will decide on a number one through 10 and the other person will not know that number. And so the the person that does not know the number is going to ask for film recommendations that you would rate that number on. And I have to guess the number based off of the films that you guys are collectively saying or individually saying are this number. So for example, if the number you agree on is 10 and I'll ask you for a sci-fi film, a drama film, a comedy, a horror and an action film. You two will know 10. I will not know. And let's say you say Blade Runner 2049, About Time, The Nice Guys, um, Cabin in the Woods, and John Wick Chapter 4. Um, you know, Then I'm going to guess I think it's a 10 out of 10. <laughs> and uh, and then that will either confirm or deny. Um, so you will each give an answer for each genre. We'll, um, and, uh, um, and then it'll be up to the person who doesn't know to guess. Um, so... Hopefully that makes enough sense um, if this is your first time joining. Um, we did it last week where um, the audience also doesn't know. Um, so I th and, and I got some positive feedback on that. So I think we should probably do it that way um, moving forward. So um, I'll, I will start first. Um, I will look away from the screen and you guys can inaudibly um, decide on a number um, collectively one through ten. And then um, whenever you get a number, give me a cue and I'll come back. Okay. Okay. okay well, yeah, we'll do our best. <laughs> they just held up fingers last year until there was agreement. Okay. So my initial thought is this. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Judging by, by the, the few times I've heard this, I think that's an interesting one to go for. Cool. Um, so based off of the number that you guys picked on a scale of one to 10, give me a film that you think category, it, give me a film that you think you would define, you would rate that film. Um, let's start with comedy. Comedy. Okay. Um, all right. So now I have to think of comedies. Mm -hmm. This is going to be an interesting experiment here. Yeah. Um, you know what? Okay. For, in terms of comedy, I would go for galaxy quest. Oh, that is very interesting. Um, I'm going to go with, I don't know, get him to the Greek. That's quite the quality difference. Um, no, it's not. It's exactly the same. No. Uh, let's do a horror film. Uh, a horror film. Uh, Shane, if you I'm, have one. I'm going to uh, say Malignant. Okay. You either, you either love or hate that movie. <laughs> And do I don't mean I? you specifically. No, I mean I, I don't mean you specifically. I mean everybody either loves or hates that movie. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of horror. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go for Alien Covenant. Oh, that could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I went for. It. Uh, Honestly, Aaron, I don't know if you're gonna get this one, and this is gonna be so much fun. <laughs> let's do sci-fi. Let's go sci-fi. Uh, Weirdly enough, my last two have been kind of sci-fi. True. Mixing genres. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say Oblivion. Okay. Okay, this is interesting. I will go for Solo. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do action. I'm going to say The Expendables. Timely. Because mm -hmm. Expend Four Bulls. I really wish they didn't do that with the title. 
I hate stupid crap. Like I that. really wish they didn't cast half the people they did. <laughs> Fair. Because I like that franchise, in theory. They obviously the second movie's actually, the second movie is great. Expendables 2 is awesome. <laughs> Expendables 2 definitely was the best one. They yeah. actually learned the lesson and realized, oh crap, we should have fun with this. Yeah, and then they lost, forgot all the lessons when they made 3. I'm going through my letterbox. I'm not seeing this rating on any action movie I've watched. Um, okay, apparently uh, this is listed as an action movie, so I'll just say tag. Oh, well, it had enough action at the uh, Jeremy Renner broke both his wrists, I think, making that True. movie. So, like, that's that's a stunt. Yep. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> You guys want to hear a fun story? Um, so my wife was watching a video where somebody had to guess um, who, like, it was a Smosh video, and it was like you have to guess the cast or crew member um, based off of their three favorite films. And so my wife asked, asked, guessed, and correctly guessed my three favorite films: um, The Nice Guys, Knives Out, and Shawshank Redemption. Um, but uh, then I. I asked her what her three because I, I never asked her because she's not a like favorites person. She's like, here's the movie that I'm watching the most right now kind of person. Right. Yeah. And so she said um, uh, um, her favorite rom-com is a movie called One Small Hitch. Um, and that's like her go to comfort thing. And uh, and then she picked uh, um, something else. I can't remember off the top of my head um, and tag. <laughs> Um, which I love tag, but it's, it's one of those that we could just put on and watch at any time. So again, that's her criteria for me. Anyway, if you want an time actual action movie for that category, I can give you the, no, 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 I'll stick with tag, okay. uh, drama. And this is the last one. And I have, I really don't think I'm going to get this. You know what? I will give you for a drama being the Ricardos. Ooh, I really liked that movie. I was about to say, you Aaron do. loves Sork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't love that movie. Uh, I really liked that movie. Um, but yes, I do love Sorkin. I've been seeing Moneyball clips come across my time my TikTok feed the whole time and I'm like fine like every time it's like fine, I'll watch Moneyball again. Like <laughs> Um I'm gonna go with, um The English Patient. I don't know. There you go. There's drama in there. Somewhere in the three something hours that movie is. So here's the deal. I have no idea where to go because this is all over the board because I really like Alien Covenant, but most people don't. I really don't like Solo, but some people have some affinity for that movie. I really want to say this is somewhere down the middle of the road, maybe slightly leaning high, but that feels way too low for Galaxy Quest, which means that Chris just hates fun. Um, (laughs) I can give you some explanation after you finish. But like, it can't be too high because the Expendables 1 is on here, you know? Um, I I think it's I think it's five or six, and I think I think it just makes sense to go five. Oh, you're so close. (laughs) It's six. It's six. Okay, explanation for. I thought you were legitimately going to get that. I'm like, no way he's going to Benoit Blanc his way through this thing and just find his way to the answer. Look, it's just like some of them are like I would rate significantly higher, and I would look. I would put Solo significantly lower, but like, like I feel like that's fair. But then it's like Galaxy throws it off because that should be at least an eight. Okay, so Galaxy Quest is a pretty fun movie. Uh, I have never seen Star Trek. Mm, I get that. So I think that influences a lot of my perception of Galaxy Quest. I, 
I saw that movie a couple times growing up, so it's a bit of a nostalgia trip. Um, and then I watched it recently, but I think I watched that Never Surrender, Never Give Up documentary before I watched the film as an adult. And that so, so that documentary quest. is awesome, actually. Um, <laughs> and you should for sure seek it out, even if you didn't love Galaxy Quest. Yeah. What's funny is I I also think I watched Galaxy Quest before I watched anything anywhere near Star Trek related. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next thing I watched Star Trek related was T.J. Abrams Star Trek. So yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not it's a like, great trekker. Sorry, people. Yeah, um, yeah, but I've seen enough things that are in. I've seen enough things that are in the like comic book or comic con vein, you know, like fanboys or whatnot. That it's like I get what Galaxy Quest is poking fun at. So, I, but I but I agree. Fanboys. I would appreciate the movie a lot more if I was a Trekkie, but I'm not. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's a fair fair. Um, okay, I think the rest of that makes sense. I know I know most people didn't like being the Ricardos all that much, and um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm higher on tag than everybody else. That's why I wrote another person's treasure on tag at one point. I think I also gave Tag a three out of five. It's just a lot of fun, and there's it legit, is. the time is a construct <laughs> for Hannibal purposes. Still great, and to yes, me, Jeremy Renner went hard. Oh, he went like, so he hard. Did, yeah. hard. <laughs> there's so many good jokes in that one. There's there's one that really doesn't land. Um, it's the miscarriage running joke. Um, that's really. Not cool, uh, but I guess it's not even a running joke. It's just a plot point that really didn't land. But everything else kind of does. Well, Aaron's uh, except good for at this game. except for apparently Jeremy Renner when he broke his arms falling from a stack of chairs. He didn't land well. Yeah. Um, do we want to move on, or do either of you want to give this a shot? I mean, I'd, I'd like to give it a go. I don't know how good I would be at it. Sure, let's give it a go. Okay. Um, all right. So, close my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, my first suggestion would be maybe here or here. Your screen lagged. I didn't see the second one there. Let's go with that one. Okay. All right, Chris, um, sci-fi drama, comedy, horror action. What do you want first? Um, let's get horror out of the way because I'm, I'm a bad judge of (laughs) horror quality. The Pope's exorcist. Oh no. (laughs) Um, I don't I don't know a ton of horror stuff. Let's do there's gotta be one. There's gotta be one Saw movie that lands in here. Let <laughs> <laughs> me actually write these down. Um yeah. Um sure. Saw no. You could just say Saw. I have only seen the first one. So. Yeah. It really but, wouldn't help me discern discern. But uh right. but yeah, um but the first saw to me is a ten out of ten and um I'm okay. pretty sure bit based off the post Pope's Esther's Exorcist you could eliminate the ten out of ten. Listen. <laughs> uh Russell Crowe gets a ten out of ten for his performance. <laughs> As he always Let's does. Go. <laughs> sure. Saw four, why not? That's the saw closest. Four. All right. Um yeah, so let's go right on to drama. Just a complete whiplash. Mm-hmm. This is the most broad category, so this is the one that I need the most help with. Crash. The uh, Soderbergh one, or be- okay. No, the best picture winner crash. Best, best picture winner crash. Okay, that, mm-hmm. just the way you say that kind of skews the way I'm thinking about this. Scarface. Scarface. The Al Pacino. Yes. All right. Well, I don't like that movie, so that might also color thing or two. All right, let's get some action movie. The Matrix Resurrections. That's a divisive. F9, or F9, if you want to say it out. 
Okay, then we You're pretty, have... pretty generous with that rating, Shane. <laughs> then we have comedies. Uh, uh, I'm going to say it, but I'm going to also say that I probably deserve a rewatch. Um, I probably didn't watch this at the right age. So, you know what? I'm just going to say it and you guys can hate me. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I don't can think I I've ever seen tops? it all the way through. Um, I'm going to go with... Hmm. This is a lot harder than I thought. Well, actually, no, I didn't mm-hmm. think this was going to be hard when you started describing the instructions. I'm like, oh, no. Um, I'm going to say Just Friends. The Ryan Reynolds movie? Yes. Okay. And then we have Sci-Fi Left. The Lost World. Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park 2, yeah. I'm going to keep it in the family. I'm going to say Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> Shane's being super generous today. <laughs> By the sounds of it, yeah. Okay, so that's ten movies. Okay, so what this reads like to me is that these are movies that you could easily refer to as bad, but they have some redeeming quality that makes it difficult to immediately put them down into like the one or two category. So I don't think there's anything in here that I would immediately say is just a solid movie. Um, We'll have people yelling at us for putting Scarface in this region, I think. I also yeah. don't like Scarface, so we're all on let the same them, page. Let them yell. Yeah. Say hello to my little rating of four. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. There we <laughs> all go. All I'm yeah. saying is all four difficult. of those points for the Pope's Exorcist all go to my man, Russell Crowe, <laughs> and the rest of the movie gets nothing. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah, four feels right for this selection there's a couple of there that i definitely rated lower Mm -hmm. um napoleon dynamite as i said i don't think i've ever seen that in its in its totality so i watched it when it came out which i was like 12 and i feel like the sweet spot is like 16 16. (laughs) yeah like so i think i was just a little bit too young i was like this is just stupid Meanwhile, I would watch something like Anchorman and be like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Definitely like Anchorman specific brand of humor. Shane, do you want to go? play, so go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let us decide on a number. Chris, I'm going to let you suggest a number, and then we can work from there. Hmm. No whammies, no whammies. I was thinking more along the lines of here. Okay. I could see that being interesting. Yeah. The number okay. you threw out, I, I don't particularly like. I think it's the easiest to get. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, then so we're going with this number? Yes. Yes. Let's, let's, let's do yours, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, Shane. Drama. All right. Drama. So broad. <sighs> the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I could say one, but it's not a very big movie, so. Shane's probably seen it. That's <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> okay, you know what? The 2010 The Wolfman. Interesting. We did that on Rowan in the Wasteland. Rowan really did not like it. I'm like, I had <laughs> some fun with this. <laughs> I wanted more Anthony Hopkins. As well. uh, c- comedy. Comedy, comedy. Jumanji The Next Level. Oh, I'm going to make this interesting. Wedding Crashers. I understand that. I disagree, but I understand that. Uh, science fiction. Cronenberg's The Fly. I could just recycle something and say... No, I shouldn't do that. Avatar, the first one. Mm-hmm. Horror. Paranormal Activity, the first one. Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Action. Bad Boys. 
Armageddon. Mm. Oh. Is that an action movie? I guess it is. Close enough. Sure. It falls more in drama, but it's got Bruce Willis, so it has to be it's, action. It's a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> I think so. it's I would put it much closer to action to a drama. It has drama in it. Um <laughs> Oh man. Um hell. Five. Five is not correct. It is very close. We went with four again. <laughs> well. So Chris suggested seven. don't see eye to eye on the fly, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, but like... Mm-hmm. Th- Should that surprise you, though? From you, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that was the thing, because ha- I've known Aaron long enough where I'm just like, hmm, is that something he actually likes or not? Which is why I went with more middle of the road with that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Aaron probably doesn't like the fly. So. Nope. No, I don't. Uh, well... Y'all actually got it or got within one, so good for us. Yeah. So seven is that one that I think is really easy to guess because seven is kind of like that, like just middle middle ground liked it, you know, and it's like, I think a lot of films fall in in that category. And so like, you you definitely stay away from it's great, but it's also like, it has to be somewhere along the good. Like it's the most narrow window, I think, is that seven out of 10. Yeah. For me, seven sounds more like it, it, sort of hovers in between yeah that was okay and i really like that but but like the the actual movies that you would list c- could possibly go either way depending on the audience which would make that more interesting. i think it's I mean, the same fair. for like a nine out of ten because a nine out of ten is like somewhere between a, yeah that's a really good movie and i love that movie it's true yeah nine, i think nine, nine would be hard to distinguish between right. like yeah that and a ten uh I hope yeah, but like you say, you say seven, and yet? I go like Man of Steel, Nobody, Unbearable Weight of Mass. Like these are all seven out of tens. Like, see, like, one indisputable. of those is a six, and two of those are an eight or four or an eight <laughs> for me. Has anybody yeah. done one yet? Um, I think I'm pretty sure we did. Like the, I think the Foster and Nick did a one. Nice. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to some of these because now I'm really curious. It's really like, fun. The first, you're so the first, up the first couple of times we did it, you were aware of the number. Um, but they, but last week it was, um, I was unaware of the number. We were unaware of the number, and it was a lot of fun. Thanks for playing along, guys. I think, as Shane said, we did pretty okay. Um, but I think it has been too long for us not to talk about uh, our our main goal in coming here today. But first, let's get a chance. You've heard some movie opinions from uh, and other opinions from Chris and Shane. Um, so if they are interested in following you elsewhere, um, where can people do that? Chris, let's start with you. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. Just type in my name or search for Chris Batkinson. And that is the only place you can reach me because I do not do the social media thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Shane. Deep breath. Head over to the Wasteland Viewer Instagram page where I shamelessly plug all the things that I do, whether they're my podcast, the Wasteland Vintage Roadshow, the Cinematic Wasteland, and Rowan in the the Wasteland, or where I do all of my writing for Sif Pop, including the short list, which is my weekly article, all of the writing that I do for Scribe, as well as 90% of their podcasts, just throwing that out there. My new writing op-eds at guyatthemovies.com, but most importantly, the Wasteland Viewer YouTube channel where I have three weekly shows and I review anything and everything all the time. A little bit of everything. You just feel like you don't do enough. (laughs) Well, um, I'm getting brought in to do multiple of that podcast with Heath, Rowan, and Foster, so apparently Mm -hmm. not. (laughs) 
You ever just feel like your digital footprint isn't big enough? (laughs) I'm waiting for it to the size of my actual footprint, which is a 15 quadruple E. So, there you go. I thought I had big feet. Um... As a quick reminder, you can join the Cool Cool Kids Club over at Patreon, patreon.com slash sifpopwr, where you get access to lots of different things, including uh, any new release, uh, any brief thoughts on a new new release that I check out. So Blue Beetle Thoughts, uh, and uh, I finished Jury Duty, so I think I, oh, I haven't recorded that one yet. I do that. Um, And some uh, other things on that, Righteous Gemstones, and It's Always Sunny Philadelphia, and Be a Cool Kid Like Me. Be a cool kid. <laughs> Patreon.com slash SifPopWR. Let's get into the Sif topic. Um, where do you want to start? Uh, I, I don't know. Which, which one of these do we want to start with? Well, I think the conversation around Brawl and Cell Block 99 is probably going to be more interesting. So let's start with that one. Let's do it. So uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 is a 2017 movie. Um, it stars Vince Vaughn um, and um, Don Johnson um, with like the two ones that I really recognize. I'm sure there's other people. Um, Jennifer Carpenter was on Dexter for like eight years. I was like, I think I know the face, but I didn't know her name or what I knew her from. And then Udo Kier, which oh, just yeah. up being creepy in a lot of things. Uh, a former boxer turned drug runner. <laughs> He's so vague. Like the boxing is so not part of anything. Like why include that year? Well, former when box- he starts throwing fists, it looks like he knows how to. I know, but it's like he, they have the one conversation about boxing, and he's very vague. Like we have no confirmation that he ever was. Anyway, for, former boxer turned drug runner turned drug runner lands in prison uh, in a prison battleground after a deal gets deadly. Um, as said, mentioned, this is a 2017 film. I'm really curious. Uh, well, first of all, um, Shane, this was the one that you picked. Um, so I am pulling up the the preference sheet, and I paired this. Um, this was Shane's number one pick, and um, Chris's number one pick was three ten to Yuma. And so I think I just thought prison or or like action movies, and like and that would go well together. Or numbers um, in the title. <laughs> sure, that, that also. Works. I was I was thinking along the lines of like yeah, like the either either prison or like action movies. They have um, so much but, in common. I should also say, uh, I would like to know, first of all, uh, Shane, why was this the the number one pick for you? I had seen I had seen a lot of what was on your list. And I just thought that as I was going through it, I'm like, that would be an interesting conversation because I'm pretty sure most people haven't seen it. Sure. That's a good point. Um, then I'll go through. I want to go through each of us. What is your history with this movie? This is a movie that came out. And I feel like it was one of the, it really kind of felt like, you guys remember when the first John Wick came out and Keanu was kind of a laughing stock at that point in his career. And we were like, Keanu doing another movie? Like, no, I'm not interested. And then you hear the concept and you're like, definitely not interested. And then you saw the trailer and they're like, hold on. And then the movie came out. We were all like, that's incredible. Like, I feel like this movie kind of had the same thing where it's like Vince Vaughn is, I don't know if he's as much of a laughing stock because he had Hacksaw Ridge the year before this, which he was like Oscar nominated for. I think no, no, but I that's the praise for. Yeah, like he, he's good in that movie. Um, but he's definitely so, more of a comedy actor, though. Nobody yeah. expected him sure. to do a movie like this. Yeah, and it was probably. Well, and at that point, I'm pretty sure like his comedy was a little stale. Yeah, like he, I don't think he put out like a great comedy or at least something that was like a big hit in a while. Sure. So 
so this movie came out and everybody was like, hey, that's actually pretty good. And so it was kind of on my radar. Um, and then it kind of fell off my radar. And then maybe about a year ago, um, it came across when I was just searching Amazon Blue. Like it was a sale going on or whatever. And I just like searched Amazon 4Ks by lowest price. And this 4K was like six bucks. And I was like, any, I'll buy almost any 4K for six bucks to try it out. You know, like, especially if it's a movie that I've heard of um, and heard decent things about. So I picked it up and took me until now to get around to watching it. Um, but my impression um, going into the movie was that this was um, a lot more actiony than it is. You know, I thought that this was, I knew next to nothing about the movie. I thought this was like a 90 minute, like um, brawl, um, like, the title suggests uh, and it's very much not um and so what i thought this movie was going to be running theme on the show what i thought this movie was going to be and what it actually is is different but that's just because of my ignorance because i wanted to know as little about this movie going into it as possible so chris what is your history with this movie uh no history i had never seen it i might have heard about it once or twice but i think the only context in which i would have heard about it is more in relation to uh, the director's other movies, like Bone Tomahawk, and I think it's called Dragged Across Concrete. Yes. Um, which had uh, not a small amount of controversy around it. Um, but this movie particularly, I don't think I've ever been um, quite exposed to. So this was completely new for me as well. I've heard of both of the other films, but I've not seen either of them. Yeah, I was um, mostly aware of the fact that uh, apparently both of those movies are pretty gross. Shane, what's your history? So I saw Bone Tomahawk, and I'm a big Western fan. And when I heard somebody made a horror Western, I'm like, that sounds interesting. And then watching a body be bisected was Mm -hmm. something that I didn't expect to watch that day. Um, S. Craig Zaller definitely picked up on my radar because extremely brutal. And I, I enjoyed... I thought Bone Tomahawk was a pretty effective horror film and a pretty effective Western. And I'm like, sure, I'll go into this. And I remember when this was coming out, I rented it on BOD and did not expect the, what was it, two hours and 15, two hours and 20 minute runtime that it has. Um, I've probably watched this, this is probably like my third time watching this movie. Um, I own all three of his movies. I think he, as Craig Zeller has it, interesting vintage approach to filmmaking they're all very like 70s exploitation type films and you can definitely feel that in the way that he makes them and everything and i like that i enjoy it so and i wanted to see wanted to talk about this since i could almost guarantee the vast majority of people at sif pop haven't seen it so yeah, not a lot of Letterboxd reviews for it um, for from Sif Pop people, a decent amount. But there's also, like, there's a good amount of, like, people that have given this, like, high ratings. Um, like, Sif Pop writer May has this at a 5 out of 5. Jonathan Paula has this at a 4.5 out of 5. I was like, you know, that's got to be... Um, yeah, this like isn't that, the like, kind of movie that I would imagine John would like, but... No, that's... It absolutely shocked me. Um it's got a 3.7 average on IMDb, 90% Rotten Tomatoes and 7.1 IMDb. So again, this came out and I like, this was kind of, this was like a couple of years after the first John Wick. I'm like, oh, is this Vince Vaughn's John Wick? Um, so, but it's definitely did you, not that kind of movie. No, it's <laughs> yeah, diff- completely different vibe. Yeah. Um, so on my, on the people that I follow on Letterboxd, Dicer gave this a two. That tracks. 
Yeah. Jake gave this a three and a half. Uh, May gave it a five. Um, Podcaster, two podcasters that I follow gave it a four. Um, John Paula and another guy gave it a four and a half. So like generally really favorable reviews. So I was really excited. Um, Now, did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Shane, you, you brought it up. So we will start with you. This is definitely low end of love it for me. Cause like, I think I feel like I, if I was using letterbox back in 2017, when I watched this, I probably would have given this a four and a half. I think I gave it an a minus in my video that I made for it back then when I actually put grades, which I don't anymore. Cause mm-hmm. I don't want to argue with people about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be fun. Cause I saw your letterbox review, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I did not like it at all. I'm I'm not didn't at the point, like it. I, I'm it. not at the point where I say I'd hate it. Okay. I hated it. <laughs> okay. I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> let me let me tell you why though. I think there's a really great movie in here, and I understand why people love this movie. I understand why it has a 7.1 on IMDb and 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 3.7 on Letterboxd. I don't understand why John Paula gave it a four and a half because it doesn't really seem like his kind of thing. But I understand why a lot of people that I like their opinion on reviews have given this a four, four and a half. As Shane mentioned, there's a very vintage style going on here. And this is very clearly low budget. This is absolutely a B-movie. I hate B-movies. They are never my vibe. Um, (laughs) Right. Okay. So that's where I go to hate it, like because I think there's a really great movie in here, but I ca- I have never come across a B movie that I've liked because even like the quote unquote B movies that I like are Planet Terror, where it's like that's still a high budget. It's just Robert Rodriguez, you know. It's just like um, yeah, like it's like, like we, I watched. It's like we um, have so much money that we can make this look like a B movie. Yes, yes. right. <laughs> Um, so like, like, I think the, maybe the best example was I saw Hobo with a shotgun in high school and hated it. Um, so I'm not sure like what other things might fall into here, like popular B movies, but I'm sure that I hated it. Um, I'm like looking now, um, Slither is, is, is listed as Google. I Slither's, I, I didn't love it. Um, it's probably the one I liked the most out of this category, I guess. Um, if you want to count the original Evil Dead as a B movie, that makes sense because I don't like that movie. <laughs> um, I never saw Rubber. Like that one seems pretty popular. Like Teeth, I think also would fall in this category. That I never saw. I don't like B movies, so I hated this movie. Um, but I think there's a really great movie in here somewhere. Um, it's just not this movie. And to me, the movie's biggest defense is um, its title. Um, I think it's a terrible title. I think it. I mean, it feels like a B movie, but like there's a brawl for five minutes at the very end of the movie. Like, I think a better title for this movie is Koala. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Shane's confused. I am. Koala is what they call the baby that his wife is carrying. And they say it like five or six times. That would have been so random. Uh, I also agree that Vince Vaughn Shore brawls through this prison, but there is not actually an actual brawl that happens in this prison. Um, and I, I don't even remember the trailer. I don't know if I know if I ever watched the trailer, but this just seems like the kind of movie that would put out a trailer to make this seem like this is a straight action movie. Oh yeah. yeah. And this is why trailers suck and why you should yep. watch them a lot of the times, but no, like, yeah, it's misleading. Cause this, this is not 
100% this is not like adrenaline rush brawl through a prison kind of movie. This isn't like Extraction 2 when they're escaping that prison and it's just an all-out insanity. No, it's um my biggest thing with the film is that this easily could have been tightened easily. Like it did not need to be like 2 hours and 15, 2 hours and 20 minutes. Bone Tomahawk wasn't. I know I think Drag Cross Concrete's like two and a half hours. Um, but there's more story in it than this one, uh, to work with. But I do I do appreciate the old school vibe that it's going for. I really like Vince Vaughn in it. I think he really sells the physicality well. And it's the first time I think I ever realized that Vince Vaughn is actually an intimidating looking person. Yeah. It's like yeah. he is not a small guy. But, you oh, know, he's, yeah, he's, he's goofy and everything. And then you see this, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's dismantling this car with his bare hands. It's like, he's a big dude. And he I like the, this turn that Vince Vaughn's career went in. You know, I mean, look, I love mm-hmm. him in Wedding Crashers and, um, you know, uh, um, Old School and Anchorman and stuff like that. But I kind of like this, this Brawl and Cell Block 99 and um, uh, Hacksaw Ridge turn for his career. Yeah, I um I I think he needed something like this to shake things up. I appreciate the Ooh, Tarantino that, like I, I think to... that's why Freaky is so good cuz he kind of does both, you know. He's got the intimidation and the comedy. So like I'm like I'm excited to see where his career goes from here. Um Sorry. I I was just going to say I appreciated like the Tarantino-esque casting like small random character actors or people you haven't heard about in a while. Because you know 100% S. Craig Zeller's like, hey, Don Johnson was in Django Unchained. Let's get Don Johnson over here, which he's even in in Dragged Across Concrete, too. So, and it, you know, it's not going to appeal to everybody, but when this goes crazy in terms of, like, the violence, and they actually could have named this Dragged Across Concrete, since you actually (laughs) see that happen. Um... With some crazy, crazy practical effects of, like, I did not expect to see that today. Um, that's, yeah. that's probably a good, like, trigger warning for anybody. By the way, I mean, spoiler warning for both of these movies. Um, but this is not a movie for the, like, easily queasy. Um, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, it's it's not as violent as I was expecting based off of the way that Letterboxd people were talking about it. Um, but when it happens... It, it's, it, but like like i don't know like i i i don't i don't get queasy like the only time i can remember feeling like queasy at a moment was um in in evil dead rise there's a moment with the cheese grater and that's it like that's the only time i felt that way in like 10 years um i don't i i i grew up watching see i I saw saw at a too early age i'm like this is fine um the needle pit sucks in saw too but everything else is fine um so like either way if you if you have a problem with gratuitous violence um then stay away from this movie um because it's i don't think it's as frequent in the movie but when it is there it's it's it it goes for it um so this is certainly a vibe a vibe check and if you don't check with this vibe i can definitely tell why people hate this movie but I don't know. It worked for me. I like the story and I liked the, like, the, I like that the character is kind of willing to go to all these different lengths. I like, um, I, 
as absurd as it is, I even like how the villain is like over the top and campy. And he's like, I got this Korean abortionist and he can cut off limbs inside. I'm like, it's, it's It's so like, it's so like comic book villainy that I'm almost really into it. But the, like the like because that felt really campy and cheesy and and almost like they were adapting like a like a like a Korean action movie from the eighties, you know. Um, but then like the rest of the movie didn't. It wanted to be dark and gritty, kind of like a modern western, you know. And um, it it just didn't land it for me. I think I think Vince Vaughn is really good in the movie. I don't know that he deserves as much praise as like I've seen Letterbox give him. Uh, I think he's really good. And again, I'm really excited to see kind of what he could do next. Again, I think Freaky is like that perfect balance of intimidating and hilarious. Um, so, but I don't like, like I liked the story, but as, as mentioned, this is a two hour and 12 minute movie that could have easily been 80 and gotten everything across the same way. The whole first 45 minutes of this movie, which is setting up that he used to have a past. He got into it because he needed money and, you know, he had a struggling relationship with his wife and yada, 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 ran drugs again and got caught. The whole everything before he gets to prison the first time could have been like in that conversation with Lefty as he's in prison. That whole first 45 minutes could have been a five minute conversation. And I think the movie's then better um, because it's not like any, it's not like we haven't seen anything in like this story structure before. You know, it's a very you know exactly where this movie is going, um, except for, you know, how people are going to die. <laughs> um, and then it's always worse than you imagine. Um, but like it's it's a paint by numbers story that I'm I'm kind of into. It's got a it's got a unique setting that I'm kind of into. Um, and then. But yeah, it's just like it's 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 way too long that like I I yeah it, it could it could have easily been trimmed down forty five minutes an hour um and and that's just in the first hour <laughs> and uh, yeah I don't it's fine um like in like I like I know I said well, I hated said it but like I <laughs> I know I hated it but it's like I know people will love this movie and that's it, like it's just it's not a movie made for me and maybe that's the best rating I could get this give this actually more most accurate is I was never going to like this movie I was never the intended audience for this movie so like maybe that's the best way to say it people will love it and I would be like I understand I don't I don't agree but I understand <laughs> yeah I I think I see a lot of the same things that you see in this that could have been a lot more in my wheelhouse. But I just, yeah, the fact that it is so long, and I know that the point of it is that this is a guy at the start of the movie who's trying to live uh, a good life, who gradually slides further and further down because he has no other options. But to have that arc in such a long movie where that slide does not feel all that gradual it feels like basically just a a downward staircase like oh i'm in this situation now and then this happens okay well then i have to do this and it feels like you could have used that time to be maybe more introspective than they're willing to be with a character who is so stoic about everything like we don't necessarily see him processing a whole lot of information because everything seems so logical to him Like, obviously, now I have to do what this person is telling me to do, because otherwise this happens. And that's fair, but if you keep doing that in those downward steps, then there is no real slide, I think is my problem. 
if that makes sense at all. I think it does, no, and I especially with the... He certainly is stoic, and you don't really understand how he's feeling a lot of the time, because he is one of those, like, old-school protag- male protagonists yeah. that was like... And so, if you did not like this movie, you're not going to probably like any of S. Craig Zeller's films, because this is very much... I like, imagine his, I wouldn't, yes. His I was kind just of wondering... Thing. Like because because all of his movies are pretty highly rated. Like you know, even 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 though the, like Drive Across Concrete was Concrete was pretty like um, is pretty divisive. Like it still carries like a seven point one on IMDb, and like you know that's actually quite an achievement. <laughs> I think there's a lot that's going in here, especially from the director's perspective, which I don't know if either of you know much about S. Craig Zeller, but like he's a very staunch libertarian voice. And does like a lot of writings and reviews and stuff on that kind of thing. So like I like filmmaking's part of what he does, but you can definitely tell that he's trying to go back to a very old school perspective on like male protagonists and stuff like that and storytelling. And his films feel like extremely violent time capsules. So like you're not gonna get this level of violence in classic films the way that he's doing these love letters to i guess that's his own little spin on this but i feel like he's definitely one of those kinds of filmmakers where he is going to be very divisive and you know it also doesn't help that like dry across concrete like main characters mel gibson and then vince vaughn playing a pretty similar type of character like here they're they're dirty cops and it's one of those kinds of things where it's just like like i mentioned before if this isn't your vibe none of his films are going to click and he's going for a very specific thing, which I think he achieves very, very well. But the thing is, I don't think it's going to speak to a lot of people, which also I do find it very interesting that like this has such glowing because like it has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. So like, obviously a lot of critics thought this was at least good. So, and I think that surprises me a lot because I don't know, this just doesn't seem like the kind of movie that I feel like most film critics would be like, yeah, I dug that. I think a lot of it goes to Vince Vaughn for going outside of the expectations that are on him as an actor and outside of that box that he basically lived in his whole entire career up to this point. But this is even like a hard thing where it's like, it's at least worth a watch. I'm like, I don't know if everybody's going to be happy at least giving this a two hour and 12 minute watch. So this is definitely one that I don't recommend everybody. No. And I think that's also like, even though I said, I hated it, it maybe more accurately, this isn't a movie made for me. Um, it's, it's not like I'm, t- I'm, I'm telling people actively to actively to avoid it. I think there is some stuff here worth watching, but I think like a lot of what your expectations and knowledge of the film are going into it I, again, it, because it was a very violent B movie with a vintage aesthetic. You can tell because immediately it looks like this, this film was shot through an Instagram filter. Um, like it, it was never going to be for me. And so like if, if, if ultra violent B movie is all your thing, I think you'd love this movie. If you if you don't like them, um, then it's not going to be. If you if you like um, kind of modern movies that homage to like the simplicity of classic movies, but with the modern you know prosthetics and whatever, um, or modern like capabilities of violence portraying yeah. violence, then I think like this could be really interesting. Like could be a really good watch. I think there's certainly some to like about it, and I might have liked it more 
had I actually known what the movie was going to be like, but I thought people liked this movie because again, I thought it was kind of like a John Wick where it's like, oh, like it's actually really cool action thing. So I was Loki, I was expecting the prison scene from Deadpool 2, like in a movie, right? So obviously my expectations were not in line, but I think even if I had the right expectations, I don't think I would have liked this movie um at all. That's why like I'm not willing to even like give it a little bit of grace. Like this this movie was never going to work for me. It's not something I enjoy. Um but Shane's definitely saying I don't recommend it to everybody. I'm not not recommending it to you. I'm just telling you if this is the kind of thing you enjoy, you will love it. I think there's a lot in here that you would that you would like. It's not for me. Yeah, knowing exactly what this movie is should help more yeah. than anything with knowing for yourself if that's something you're going to. I mean, I wasn't primed against it. Like like you, the thing, like I hadn't seen anything. I hadn't read anything about it. But it, yeah, the title did make me think, oh, that might be something similar to, I don't know, the prison yard fight in The Raid 2. Sure. Yeah. Um, The fact that that was not in this movie did not bias me against it. Um, But it is good to know going into it that the title kind of lies to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. If if that's very slow burn with those quick bursts of violence, if that is something that does generally appeal to you, then yeah, totally watch this. Yeah, I think I'm out. Like, I think I, I I knew what the movie eventually was going to be when it became so slow and like yeah, when it was the way it when it was is already like okay, this is not going to be a, a quick, snappy, uh, well paced. When it was an hour into the movie before they even got to prison, you know, the first prison, you know. I was like, okay, cool. That's not what this movie is. And so, like, I accepted that. But that doesn't mean that I particularly liked it. And um... I do think it kind of speeds up the moment he gets to prison. Because that's when... Well, <laughs> that's why I'm saying make the whole yeah. first hour a five-minute conversation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then I'll probably land with it's just okay. But, um, you know, yeah. at least it's not hated. That car, though. <laughs> that's true hey, that we wouldn't see him beating up his you know, destroying his wife's car um which is totally totally a proper and healthy way of dealing with your anger and frustration oh, yeah. take it out on inanimate object yeah especially then to go inside and like you know <laughs> reconcile with the wife a little bit you know and like all right well i'm gonna go back to work you can't go anywhere because i destroyed your car <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> And obviously, we're going to now talk this out, and our relationship is saved. And you know, we're just going to try again. Which I was watching this with my wife, and her first reaction is like, "Yes, have a baby. That solves everything." <laughs> <laughs> um, a man definitely wrote this movie. Just yes. to put that out, if that wasn't very clear. <laughs> uh, One thing that yeah. I I did laugh at. And I don't know if it was intentional, but there is uh, when he's in the first prison, right? And he gets the basically the assignment, like get yourself transferred, and then he immediately beats up that one guard. I don't know if it if it's due to the sound mixing or whatever, but he breaks that guy's arm, mm-hmm. and there is no pain. Like he doesn't make any sort of sound. He's he's able to just say his dialogue like like nothing just happened to him. And then he tells the other prison guard that he likes the way the dude screamed, but there was no scream. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> I uh I, I will give this movie credit for some things. I think that this movie first of all, I think that the one liners suck. Um but there is some moments that the movie tries to be funny and it genuinely is like the two guards that run the like 
strip search section of that first prison are genuinely really funny. Because um, there's the moment where like they're like, all right, now drop your pants. And he gets so down, he's completely naked. They're like, let's say A minus. Like, I thought that line was really funny. Like, that's a really funny way of making a, uh, I, I think a really funny way of making a penis joke if you're going to make one, you know? And then there's the, like, they have another moment later. I can't remember uh, what exactly. But anyway, like, like this they're movie tries. I'm sorry, what? They're guessing Yeah, guessing height. is height. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a couple moments that this movie tries to be funny. And I think when it tries, it works. Um, it's like they should make a, a movie about just two prison guards dealing with the complete nonsense of their existence. And it should be these two prison guards. I mean, I would certainly watch. I would certainly watch more of them. You know, I thought that they, that it was really funny, but it, like the movie's not. What I more so mean, no. like, mean by that statement is to say that like a lot of times when you get these action movies, they try to do comedy and it just doesn't really work. Um, or it, or it, like completely takes away from the tone or whatever. Like, if anything, it maybe felt it felt make it feel more real. You know, especially because everybody's so overly serious and brooding in this movie that you know. Then all of a sudden you have, you know, a character like this. You're like, oh, like, all right. It's it's a little bit of like light relief. It's a little bit more like helping me remember that this is the real world. Um, movies also just like really frustrating, like t- to me, like because like, all right. So like, I'm not gonna harp on this too much, but like, it was total like brain, um, like when thing when two things don't don't connect disconnect wow brain disconnect because the movie very clearly establishes itself in new york in the beginning but then vince vaughn has like a georgia accent and look i'm not saying that he couldn't have been like born and raised in georgia and then moved up to new york but it's like the movie wanted to take place in a big city known for crime that would be feasible to have this kind of thing happen but then also to make our protagonist likable and so how do you do that give him a little southern charm like it just felt like eh, just speak in a southern accent like so it's just one of those things that i was like i was like i couldn't get over it and i was like there's there's not even like a line that's like yo i used to box down in georgia went too far so i had to run away like you know you know when you're anyway. harping on that kind of stuff you're <laughs> moving to a bad place yeah, I know. that's how you like, know you're not connecting with what you're seeing yeah. in front of you. And that's why I'm like totally willing to be like, look, it's 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 an observation. It's not necessarily even a Nick Pick. It's not, it's not the reason I didn't like the movie. It's just something that I wanted to say. That just reminds me of, real quick, Mark Hamill doing an interview talking about working with Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill trying to point out a continuity error and Harrison Ford just being like, kid. If they're worrying about how wet your hair is, well, we're in trouble. <laughs> it's just like I love. He was already in no trouble with Aaron because he was thinking about Vince Vaughn's random accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. anyway, I don't have anything more to say. I, it's it's not a movie meant for me. It never was. I never was going to like it. But yeah, same. if it sounds like it's a movie meant for you, I think you could really like it. Um, so. Let's move on to 310 to Yuma. Chris, this was your pick. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this was your like top pick for the second time in a row. Uh, uh, it could have been. Maybe last time you took my number two or something. I think that's what happened. I can actually pull up the document. Um, but either way, this was your number one pick this first time or th- this time for sure. Um, let's see. Here we go. Chris on the dock. Where you at? Oh, this was your second pick. It was Mask of Zorro, then 310 to Yuma. Um, which we did, we did Mask of Zorro, Zorro. last time, yeah. Yeah. 
So either nice. I think I definitely remember this being one that you repeated. And so again, when I notice people repeating, I really want to try to make that work because it's like, oh, clearly this wasn't like a, like there's actually something here. So um, and I so I wound up pairing this with uh, this movie and um, with Brawl and South Park 99, 310 to Yuma. Uh, why is this the one that you like had as your top pick? Um, I think this kind of vault falls into the same vein as a couple of the previous movies that we've talked about when I was on the show. That It's just one of those movies that I saw a number of times when I was a teenager and maybe fell off since. I haven't seen a whole lot since then, but always remembered very fondly as one of those movies that either made me fall in love with movies in the first place or... Um, or kind of informed how I looked at movies to begin with. Um, I think this was in a period that I was a big fan of Russell Crowe and still am. Um, and also, this is the movie where I first saw Ben Foster, uh, which oh. make, makes this a, a very good memory for me in terms of movies. This would have been probably the second time I, I seen him, um, because I, the first time I remember seeing him was distinctly The Mechanic. Um Right. That came out a lot later, I think. X-Men The Last Stand. Oh, he is. Because <laughs> he was Angel right. all yeah. over the marketing. And well, it was I probably Angel didn't for see that when three it minutes. came out. The, the mechanic was 2011, so you're right. It was yeah. a couple years later. Um, I'm not sure that I saw this movie before then, though. Um, and I saw the mechanic like in theaters. Um, and yeah, X-Men The Last Stand was a year before this one, and I... Yeah, so I, I'm not sure the first time I saw about him in it, or I saw it later. Well, I saw, I definitely saw the Punisher like before, and Phone Booth, and so like certainly I've I'd seen him before. He's in Phone the Booth? first time that I was like, oh, that guy's great was the mechanic. <laughs> so anyway, um, there's barely anyone in Phone Booth, so it would have been a very small role. He plays Big Q. Um, uncredited. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, uncredited. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know who he is. Anyway, um. Yeah, uh, Shane, what's uh, your history with this movie? I remember watching this in college. I think I bought it for like $2 at Princeton Record Exchange Used. And I'm like, I like Westerns, and I want to give this a try. And I've watched this a few times, and I think this was one of the first times I really realized how much I like James Mangold. So, like, speaking of somebody who... Wow, this has a lot. Uh, it has one other layer of commonality with Brawl and Cellbach '99 because this is a director who also appreciates a traditional style of like filmmaking, except it's more like old school Hollywood filmmaking. Yeah, and which is great. And I, rem- I really like this movie. I do own this movie, so I was pretty excited when I saw that we were gonna. This is giving me an excuse to rewatch it again. Nice. Um. Yeah, I, I'm i trying to remember the first time I saw this movie because I feel like, all right, so I'm going to say this now, I don't like Westerns. And I think that's been evident through the podcast anytime we watch Westerns. Um, see the good, the bad, and the ugly for um, context. Um, but I remember hearing really good things about this one um, when it came out. And I was like, sure. And uh, But I think I checked it out like a while after it came out. Um, and then I... Like maybe maybe a year or two after, I don't know. It was probably I picked up a Blu-ray at a resale shop, or no, I, no, I, I definitely I picked up a DVD because it was before I started collecting Blu-rays. So that was like 2012, I think I got a Blu-ray player. 
maybe 13. Anyway, but then I remember distinctly like I traded in the the DVD and I wasn't intending on rebuying it because I think I got bored of the movie. Um, and honestly, maybe not sure I ever finished it the first time. Um, and then and then I rechecked it out again and remember really liking it, but it's probably been 10 years. Um, so maybe not, maybe, maybe like five or six years, maybe, yeah, maybe like six. Um, uh, cause I feel like it was like when I was in my last semester of college, which would have been 2017. So yeah, that feels about right. It's probably been six years. Um, and definitely knew I was due for a rewatch and late last year they came out with a, or maybe early this year, they came, they came out with a, um, an, a re-release of the 4k, um, with a gorgeous steel book that I bought because I remember really liking the movie the last time I saw it and was uh, really excited to watch it again. So I knew it was on a rewatch. I was like, you know what? Might as well 4k. And, um, so there we go. Um, Chris, do you like it? Love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Uh, I really like it. I'm not necessarily into the love it, but I do think it's just a really good movie. Shane? I'm definitely somewhere in between like it and love it. Yeah, that's uh, I think fair position. I think we're all kind of in the same area, but Chris, I think you like nailed it right on the head. Like, I'm so close to that loved it line, but I'm not quite willing to go there. I really, 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 really liked it. Um, so here's what I've discovered about Westerns. I don't like older Westerns. I love modern Westerns. I love Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, which I know those are Tarantino, so they're really only like half true Westerns. I like. I really like the Coen's True Grit. Um, I, re- I really like modern West- modern-made Westerns. I-, I even kind of like Fuqua's Magnificent Seven. Uh, it is what it is. It's not great, but it's fun um the heart of they fall was pretty fun oh yeah you know like i mm. i like modern westerns i don't like 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 i've tried twice with unforgiven and i cannot like that movie i'm gonna try a third time but i did not like that movie um, that's interesting then where do you draw the line on modern that's i don't know like i, I feel like i feel like this movie 310 to yuma is is, is what, the line <laughs> is the line right well it- because because Cohen's Truga is afterwards. I feel like this one really like 310 to Yuma was the start of, oh, Westerns can be made with this style and this like modern, you know, filmmaking qualities and everything Which while is funny, still feeling is... authentically Western. You know, like I feel like Mangold found that balance and then Cohen's like, oh, okay, cool. We'll do that. And then everybody was like, oh yeah, cool. We'll do that. Like, I feel like maybe this is the line. But how many Westerns came out between Unforgiven and this one? Well, it's very interesting that you bring up Unforgiven because Unforgiven kind of was the death of the Western being a mainstay genre in cinema. Because Clint Eastwood actively was like, I'm not making these anymore. And also the film is a complete deconstruction of the genre that's actively trying to tear down the mythos of it. Mm -hmm. And this is... I literally just wrote an article that's going to be coming out on Guy at the Movies, Why You Should Not Sleep on Modern Westerns. And basically the whole idea is basically anything past Unforgiven is a modern Western. Because it's who has went out of their way to try to bring something to the genre at this point. Because like, if you do think about it, it's like uh, The Quick and the Dead's one from Sam Raimi. Obviously very much a Sam Raimi movie. And still a Western, but there's, there's still Westerns all the time that come out. It's just not a focal point of cinema anymore. And I think a lot of people say the same thing that eventually superhero movies are going to turn into that. And, but I think this film 
Aaron, you brought up a good point because James Mangold is that director who finds that classic Hollywood sensibility of filmmaking, but obviously is utilizing modern techniques and technology to create something. And I think this film does find that nice balance of feeling like a traditional Western, but also looking like it was made in the 2000s because it was. Yeah. So I think two th- I think it's not just going to be this film, though. I think I'm going to just say 2007 is where I go because it's 310 to Yuma, No Country for Old Men, Assassination of the Jesse James by the Coward Robert the Ford, which admittedly I haven't seen. It's on my watch list. Um, and um, There Will Be Blood, all 2007. So I feel like that's and I, the only Western I can come across that it feels like I, I, I recognize that came out between Unforgiven and um, that 2007 is The Alamo um, and Hidalgo. And it's like, I don't know that those were loved. I mean, I certainly know that there's a lot of negative towards some of them, but I don't I don't remember that. I never saw Hidalgo. I mean, and, and if you want to count like Once Upon a Time in Mexico, but Robert Rodriguez is like, he's doing his own thing. Sure, it's kind of like a Western, but it's a Robert Rodriguez film. I don't know that I lump it in the same category. Um, I don't know if I would even call Hidalgo a Western. I'm not sure. I don't. I I think I might have seen it once when it came out, but like, I mean, it, it's location important for a Western because I don't it think takes so. place in in the Middle East. I don't think so because, like, well, because to me, Logan is a Western. Well, that, and that's an important distinction too to make between neo westerns and like traditional westerns because like 310 the yume is a traditional western where it's like it takes place during a certain period of time in america and then logan takes all of those western sensibilities it's it's an homage to shane because and which they literally watch in the movie also from james mangold so it's and location doesn't necessarily matter because australia has a pretty healthy yes. modern with like their their meat pie westerns like um mm-hmm. the proposition i think is a big film that came out in the 2000s that is a pretty well loved western but i think what goes a long way with this too is this has such a great cast like russell yeah. crowe oh, is yeah. legitimately one of the best actors working today and so is christian bale so you have the two of them and like the Ben Foster is great. Young, young Logan Lerman. <laughs> yeah. a little kid. Um, mm-hmm. And you have like, uh, it was Peter Fonda, wasn't it? Yep. In here. And then like, even like Alan Tudyk popping up in there. Mm-hmm. Love Alan Tudyk. Uh, Luke Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> popping up. It was minutes. weird seeing him. So like, it has a great cast and Ben Foster almost steals this whole entire movie out from oh, yeah. two legitimate movie stars. And I love the like the roguish cool that Russell Crowe has in this. And it's interesting looking at Christian Bale being so vulnerable and being like, oh, every man who's getting knocked off his feet and doesn't have like a good base under him and he's desperate. So I think a lot of those elements really go a long way in making this film because like this is legitimately just a really enjoyable film to watch even if you don't dig deeper into like the filmmaking of it all as well. Sure. 
Um, I, I was I was looking through somebody's list on like the best Western since 2000. And yeah, I mean, it looks like the proposition was ranked pretty high. Th- this person also had The Revenant and Wind River written in there. And I do not consider those Westerns. Um, Wind River is definitely a neo-Western. Basically, anything Taylor Sheridan touches is so, either a Western, a neo-Western, or a military film. So, so, so I mean, I think neo-Western would be right. But like, when I well, think Western, I think cowboys and you know saloons and small towns like no country for old men and that's a neo-western it takes place in the 80s i guess that's a fair point that's a good point i don't know i what do you think of hell or high water i love hell or high water water. okay but is that is that like it's a neo-western it is also a neo-western but would you consider that more of a western than wind river yeah i would yeah because to me it's that setting i don't like like I like I, I get what you're saying, like in terms of tone and whatnot, but like it's still like it's it's in the middle of Alaska. Like I think like westerns take place in the desert. Um, which, I mean, I guess Alaska is a desert, right? Like uh, Wind River takes place in Wyoming. Oh, that's right. It feels whatever. It's an icy. Well, place. and it's on a reservation, which is All like right, fine. As... Wind River is a western, but The Revenant is not. Uh, it kind of is too. <laughs> agree and disagree i saw the revenant once and i'm like it's good but i won't watch it again um and it's not the movie leo should have gotten oscar for but but chris what do you love about 310 to you um i um the main thing that i love about it is the fact that you have your hero and your villain basically together for half the Mm -hmm. movie and Mm -hmm. that happens so little in, in other films where you can just have your two most important characters share so much screen time together. And even when it's not on them, like it, it would be so easy, like if you didn't have Ben Foster, right? Then every time mm-hmm. you cut away from your, your hero and your villain, you would just be sitting there, well, go back, go back to the important part. But Ben Foster is so good that when you cut away from the, the meat of the movie and you have Ben Foster carrying those scenes along, you're not even noticing that you're cutting away from what you actually feel is like the, the main, um, you know, the main crux of the film. And just the fact that you can hop back and forth between that pair and then Ben Foster and, and the, uh, the rest of the gang, I think it's balanced so perfectly that you're, you, can, you can actually let things rest properly and then go back to, you know, hop back and I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but yeah, I think the balance and the pacing is so well put together that you don't even notice how much time is passing in between. And that means that you also don't really notice how long these two guys are actually spending together. I think to Chris's point, um, it's incredible that the movie stars Christian Bale and Russell Crowe, who are arguably, well, not arguably, were two high profile actors, arguably at the peak of their career and Ben Foster steals the show. Like, um, which isn't to say that you don't love Christian Bale and Russell Crowe in, in there as well. Um, like, cause they're, they're great, but kind of like you said, Chris, every time it comes to Ben Foster, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, it's going like, yeah. Show me more of this guy instead of, well, why are we not still with our main characters? This right. The, the scene where he's like on top of the carriage, like as it's burning, is is the best acting scene in the movie, um, and he's but it's but it's because like he's not doing anything. Like you can tell he's like so restrained, and he's like you can tell it, everything in his eyes, which are pointed away from the camera. You're like, oh, 
he's insane. He's going to do anything. And, you know, of course, of, you know, he's unhinged. He's going to go on a giant rampage. This guy is for sure not getting out of the carriage. It's just whether he's going to shoot him before he burns alive, you know? Um, and, and even the scene where he's like playing with the Pinkerton in the beginning, you know, um, yeah, it's awesome. Um, he has the best line in the movie. They had a lot of guns, sir, and they were shooting bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why would you do anything about it? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> also, oh, I forget what the actor's name is. He's also in the gray. He's the mustachioed guy who's been trying to get him to prison the whole entire time. Um Right. But he 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 does such a good job of being like toting that line between like I'm doing the right thing and I'm also kind of slimy and like I don't really have a full backbone to this because he even nopes out at the end, um, mm-hmm. which I think one of the best things about this film is how interesting Russell Crowe's character is because he has yeah. such an interesting code about him, which makes like to go into like full blown D and D alignment charts here. Um, he's that like lawful evil with like that code of conduct where it's just like, I do bad things. I'm a bad guy, but you know what? At least I have something I stand by. And Ben Foster's that chaotic evil where you're just like, this man can do anything at any moment. And I'm totally afraid of him. Um, and it's so interesting leading up to their final moment together, which feels like a little tragic. And it's completely because Ben Foster sells that scene and Russell Crowe so well together. Also, this has... I don't know about how both of you react to the final shot of this movie. I laugh so hard every time I see it. Because it's such a great payoff. Why was he so insistent upon having his horse? And (laughs) this has one of the low-key best twists of any movie. And it yeah. doesn't like fully feel like a twist, but like when Russell Crowe admits to his history of prison, you're just like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Yeah, I was I was gonna say like one of the things I remember most about this movie. So when I watched the movie the first time, I remember liking it, but thinking it was too long. But but the shootout is worth it. And then it gets to the end, and there's some really good character moments that I didn't remember, but I did remember essentially him getting to the train was a moot point. So Christian Bale dies for nothing, um, essentially. Uh, not for nothing. I mean, he's going to help his family out and he's going to like earn his, earn his, uh, his redefined legacy, you know, and whatnot. But, um, but I do remember that like that being the point, I couldn't remember if it was, I I thought it was, he had outlaws waiting for him at Yuma that were gonna, you know, rescue him there or whatever. Like not, I've been to Yuma twice and broke out twice. And so I think that's actually like my favorite line from the movie. I mean, of course, Ben Foster like has the funniest line, but that line where he's like, well, while we're confessing things, I've already been to Yuma twice. (laughs) It like it's and it's one of those. It, it also just breaks your heart because you're like, at the end of the day, like these five people didn't need to die. But also at the same time, you it's the whole point of this movie is also like constantly them reaffirming like if we won't stand up to him, then who will? And so like it's it's got to be this, you know. Um, and so and even like again, Russell Crowe has the Ben sorry Ben Wade. If you didn't know his name because they said it like sixty times in the movies, Ben Wade. Um, he, uh, he, he gets this chance to leave and not go to the prison and he hops back on to make sure that his, fa- you know, his family's taken care of. Cause he's, you're right. He's that he's that villain where he's defined himself as no good and rotten for his whole life. And when he tells that story about his mom, like you understand why he is the way he is. 
Um, and you, and you, but so it's such a perfect ending because Christian Bale has earned his redemption. You know, his, his kids are going to have a great life and you know, he's, he's, he's earned the reputation of his kids being proud to call him dad instead of, you know, the way that he's treated at the beginning of the film. But also you kind of want the bad guy to get away. <laughs> like, and he does. So presumably, I mean, he definitely uh, is. I mean, you yeah. get the sense basically throughout the entire movie that Ben Wade is not bothered at all by what what they're planning for him. No. And obviously that's paid off when he says, you know, I've been there. I've escaped twice. Yeah. And basically, so basically the movie is about him uh, from the very start knowing that this is a, a minor inconvenience at best for him. Uh, yeah. All the way growing to to the point where, okay, well, it means a lot to you. And you seem like a pretty good person, so we'll yeah. make this deal. If if all you have to do is put me on that train, I will let you. Yeah, that's why I love this movie. On that, it's okay. just like there. This is so unexpected thematically than what you think this movie really should be. Yeah, and I had this weird realization watching this film that in a in a weird alternate universe, this is a s- sequel to Shane, where Joey grows up to have no respect for his dad. Because Shane did everything to save them in that movie. And this is the dad trying to gain respect back from his son. Which, this would work, because I don't know if you know this, but the actor who plays Christian Bale's character in the original film is the same actor who plays the rancher in Shane. Van Helflin. So, I'm like, it totally works. Charlie Day meme. So, there you go. I... (laughs) Awesome. Um, yeah, I think the things like I, I love that exchange that they have at the end. You know, when you like the thing that I love the most about this movie, there's two things. Number one is that this movie gives you a sense of you cannot look away because the second you look away, something important will happen. Whether it's, you know, the one guy getting stabbed in the neck, the second that Christian Bale falls asleep, he wakes up to that happening. And you're like, if you, you know, went to the bathroom during that scene, like you missed a whole bunch. Um, and same thing with like when the Apaches, you know, later, like, like every, it it gives you the sense that anything might happen at any moment. And that's awesome. Especially for a movie that is kind of slow paced like this. Uh, it's not like super slow. Like it's, it's still moving, but it's like the scenes take their time. They'll show you a scene on the way from this, you know, hour long horse ride. Um, but, but then at the same time, what the other thing I love about this movie is when we get to that final interaction in the train shootout, um, and, and Ben Wade admits to having already broken out of Yuma twice. And, um, and Dan admits to the reason he lost his leg is because he was retreating. Like it redefines and recontextualize and makes every single conversation that they've had up to that point actually important as opposed to just banter that fills the time. Like, because when he's constantly making, you know, saying, you know, why are you letting your wife live like this? And, um, you know, and you're stubborn and, and, uh, and your kids don't respect you or whatnot. And he's just like, I don't understand why you don't just take the money and walk all of a sudden every, every single conversation they've had is intentional up to this point. So I just really love that. I'm really curious. Um, I own the, this is a, a remake. I own the original cause there's a criterion release for it. And I, and then I saw it actually has pretty good reviews. So it's like, maybe I'd check it out. And I'm really curious to check that out because um, I read somebody's review. It might've been John Paula. And he says, 
this movie ends on a great note of great and of grace and redemption that the remake botches. And I'm like, I don't think that the remake botches it. So I'm really curious to see if I watch the original, will I hate the ending of this one now? You, you neither of you have seen the original, have you? Not yet. It's Got definitely it. something on my radar too. And I, I was literally scrolling through the criterion collection website today. And I saw mm-hmm. that I'm like, you know what? I should really watch this at some point. Cause love the new one so much sure when it's like i also got to i i love watching movies that people remake because i got to know what like especially when it feels like a passion project like this one did like it feels like mangold really wanted to make not just a western but specifically 310 to yuma why does he want to do that is it because he wants this movie not to be lost to time this story not to be lost to time or is it because he he saw something and he's like it's not quite perfect but i can make it perfect almost like westworld that i talked about a couple weeks ago like the movie you can tell oh there's something really great here and it feels like jonathan nolan and lisa joy had a vision and brought it to life with the HBO show. Like it really feels like that is super warranted. So I'm really curious to go back and see out of all the Westerns, James, James Mangold could have picked. Why did he pick this one? Yeah. Uh, I haven't thought. seen the original, but I did come across the page for it when I was looking at somewhere to watch the remake. Mm-hmm. And it, as a result of that, I did like read the little blurb that they had for it. And that basically spoiled the movie. Uh, I don't know why they do that. But from reading that, I did note that the ending was different. Um, and I don't know if you if, if you would ever say that this movie's ruined it, because just because an ending is kind of bleak doesn't mean it's like out of line with what the rest of the movie is saying. Um, from reading that original ending, I, I would assume that just the basic structure of the film is the same, but, you know, the tone might be entirely different wall to wall. I have a quote-unquote happier ending. I think that's the idea behind it from what I read, yeah. But I don't think that makes this ending like unfit for the the movie that we watched. It's interesting. The from my understanding, I don't know anything about the ending, but from uh, from what I read on the Letterboxd review, uh Delmer Davies directed the original and it's um apparently it's very similar in terms of structure. The ending is slightly different. Um but also the original is not as concerned with the action set pieces um especially like on the way to so the original is only an hour and 32 minutes so um i think it's very similar it's just the it's not as concerned with the action maybe except for the end i don't know but uh yeah like this Um, is for a modern audience let's uh liven this up a bit the original is from the 50s right so I can imagine why they would spring for additional action scenes when you have a movie to film and and release so let me ask you this question then um we all have said nothing but positive things about this movie so far and very positive things, but none of us went into loved it. What's that thing holding you back? I lied. I actually love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> As we've been talking about this, I'm like, you know what? I do love this movie. Who am I kidding? So that's my answer to your question. I might be in the I mean, same I'm... boat, but I, yeah, I don't really go in for I love a movie and then the more negative things I see about it, I tone it down from there. It's it's just a Fair. general, you know, it's it's a vibe check. Sure. I think again kind of talking I think I'm flipping sides. I'm just I'm going to peek into love it, not like full heart wholeheartedly, but just I'm going to flip from almost loving it to to into loved it camp. Um I I think it's just even even the ending and redefining all the conversations they have in a little bit. It's just it's a 2 hour and 12 minute movie that feels a lot longer. Um 
I think I think it's it's some of the pacing at the beginning that kind of kept me out of loved it. I think it's it's one of those where like at the end you realize all the conversations were important, but it it's it still feels like a very long movie, even though the whole, like setting is a very short amount of time. Um, you know, it's 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 like a day and a half um, from when they capture Ben, but it's a while before they capture him. Um, so sure, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 mostly that I think, um, but yeah, no. There's 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 lots to love about this movie, and you you can love lots about it and still be like, yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, like maybe it didn't hit right here, here, here. But I I was just curious if there was something that was actually a hang up. You're like, oh, this didn't work well, or I didn't like this storyline, or something about the ending. Because because like I'm even thinking of any particular moment, and it's like I don't know that I would take any of them away. <laughs> Um, and like, maybe one of my favorite moments of the film is when everybody's given up on Dan and they're like, yeah, well, this ain't worth it. Cause he just, now we got 40 guns against us. You know, five versus seven seemed lopsided, but doable five versus 47, very much not. And then the marshals go out there to surrender and then they still just shoot him dead. It's like, at this point, Dan is not getting out of here unless Ben gets on the train, the train takes off. And then why worry, kill Why worry about killing Dan? But, um, you know, and now it's just a Dan versus the world. You know, it's like, yeah, let's go. Um, and there's that really funny moment where Russell Crowe just is like, you got lucky. And he looks down and there's a bullet hole in his <laughs> amputated shoe. <laughs> so. Yeah, I can't think of anything that I don't like about it. So maybe I should bump myself up to love it. Well, let's end there then. We're all back in love it. Yes. Um, very nice. Because we got to do some top five up. prison movies. Top five prison movies. I'm really happy I have the 4K of this one. I didn't notice like a considerable jump in quality, but I love the art book, artwork on the steel book. Um, you guys got to check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, but uh, let's move on to our top five prison movies. We'll do this best ever challenge style. Number five to number one with Trump rules. We'll do some honorable mentions at the end if you have any. I will kick us off at number five with The Great Raid. Uh, sorry, not the Great Raid, the Great Escape. Sorry, um, that we talked about. We're pump, pump that one. Yep. Um, Chris, why don't you go next? What's um, your number five. Okay, so because we decided it was uh, movies featuring prisons, uh, I do have the Grand Budapest Hotel at number five uh, for that uh, fantastic sequence uh, somewhere in the middle with uh, a little appearance from Harvey Keitel, <laughs> as, uh, as you've not seen him very often in his career. Uh, yeah, that whole sequence in the prison, um, as we talked about, it is a little bit reminiscent of Paddington 2 in, in some respects, but yeah, I like, I just enjoy that whole, um, the whole vignette of, uh, the communication that's set up between, uh, Michel Gustave in prison and the actual Budapest Hotel where they have all those, uh, where he's basically holding sermons for the the other prisoners. I, I guess he's reading poetry to them, and yeah, the um, I think it's only about ten or fifteen minutes total, but it I it's think a it's great enough. 10 or 15 it's it's minutes, so good. It's like remember zero, don't be a candy ass. <laughs> um, uh, my number five is Escape from New York. As I changed my number five, as that brought up before we started recording, I'm like. Oh, Duh. Is that on anybody else's list? Nope. Uh, it is not. I haven't seen it. Well, when you have Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken, everybody knows Snake Plissken, has to get sent into a penal colony known as New York City. Um, this movie is definitely one of Carpenter's films that is limited by its budget. 
had such a big, great idea. Um, and unfortunately, he had a bigger budget, I guess, with the next one, and that didn't turn out great. Some of the special effects. Um, but this film is so cool and so ridiculous, and it's such a crazy world. So many great character actors from Ernest Borgnine to Harry Dean Stanton to Donald Pleasance. And, you know, Kurt Russell is not often as cool, ever cooler than when he sports that eye patch and talks like Clint Eastwood and a snake Pliskin. And he even gets to go toe to toe with Lee Van Cleef, just like Clint Eastwood. So I have so much fun with the movie. Um, number four is then for my number four, I have the green mile. Me too. and look here's the thing you know that this that this list is going to have some heavy hitters when the green mile is number four right like and i frequently i find myself more and more complaining that movies are too long and the green mile is a three-hour movie that is justified in this three-hour runtime does not feel Uh, it at all no it doesn't and it's got tons of excellent performances from tom hanks and michael clark duncan and uh sam rockwell um in a a really great one character james cromwell as well um, this movie is just one of those where it's like, it's, it's just so good. Um, yeah. it's, it's nearly perfect. Um, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's I've one. only seen it the once I need to, I, I need to check it out again. I think it's on my like rewatch list, especially because there's been a 4k release that I own since I've seen it with, uh, all respect to Cedar house rules and Michael Caine come now. Like, how did you choose that over Michael Clark Duncan for best supporting actor for this movie? Cause this is a revelation of a performance yeah. and just, Oh my God, he is the heart of the film. And yeah. you just feel so heartbroken throughout this film, knowing where his life is going to go. But yeah. And you know, Tom Hanks is anchoring the film. Like few actors like Tom Hanks, there are can just stroll in here and anchor a three hour prison movie like this. Um, and I, I think Frank Darabont is the king. Wow. I went there of adapting Stephen <laughs> King. Um, you're welcome and goodbye. Good night. Well done. <laughs> I think it also like the only thing I knew about this movie was the scene where Michael Clark Duncan is executed. Um, I knew how it happened and I, because I think like I had stumbled upon that scene like while my parents were watching it at a young age or whatever, and I didn't understand what was going on. So I, so they had to explain it to me. Um, so they, so they had to explain to me both why it was happening and then the severity of what was happening. And even despite knowing that, which is like the big emotional climax to the movie, um, it didn't hinder my thoughts on the movie at all. Like it's still remarkable, even though, even when you know that big moment, you know, so, um, just props to the movie for that. Number threes then, um, since we talked about it earlier and realized it probably should count. If 310 to Yuma counts as a prison movie, then so does this one. Um, Paddington two. I'm not as high as everybody else, but, uh, obviously this movie's great. Well, yeah. the whole movie focuses on him being sent to prison. So it definitely counts. And he spends a decent amount of time there. Yeah, no, that's why I'm like, he, yeah. you know, it's, it counts for sure. But if I thought about it, definitely would have been on my list. And uh, speaking of Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor, Grow a Spine Academy, give Hugh Grant an Oscar nomination for Paddington 2. I love what Hugh Grant is doing <laughs> these last few years. Oh, my God. It's I, like he's yeah, the only reason I'm favorite. excited for Wonka. Like, he's in I'm that. Just, he's a yeah, Oompa he's in, he's the Oompa Loompa. <laughs> oh yeah, of course I've seen that. 
Yeah, which that looks has yeah. caused a whole bunch of other conversations. But Hugh Grant is him moving out of okay, I'm a middle aged man now. I can't keep doing these rom coms and stuff like that. Too now, I realize that I'm an I'm a talented actor who could basically do whatever the hell I want. So let's be snarky, let's be charming, and just be an absolute delight to watch on screen. Yeah, you can. It really feels like Guy Ritchie unlocked something in him in The Gentleman. <laughs> yes. That has brought him to a new level. Like, I mean, I, like, I know that uh, Paddington 2 came out before The Gentleman, but like, it really feels like that was the moment where like, okay, this is, Come this is Hugh Grant from now on. Yeah, I wonder how he, like, did he make that decision on, on his own or is like, it was his agent saying like, listen, we, we can't get you your... <laughs> your usual roles anymore i mean he was he was in the man from uncle too so guy Ritchie did get to yeah, it first. Act, yeah i guess oh, he did okay um i didn't see i think one. one when he turned up in cloud atlas i think yes. that was the moment where i'm just like wait a minute that might have been it yes. Hugh Grant's doing something very very different here and i, I didn't like see it. that one i didn't he, see that but yeah that, that would, i mean because it's that and then man from uncle Three years later, but he only has one movie in between. Yeah. So and then and then, and then Paddington two two years after that, followed by The Gentleman, and then Glass Onion and Operation Fortune, and he's great in that too. Dungeons and Dragons. He really. Oh my god, he's so great. He's great in the D movie. Also, Knuckles McGinty, Brendan Gleeson. It's so good in Paddington two. Also, just oh my god. I think he's yes. one of my favorite criminals from any movie. He just—he's so t- tough guy looking and grumpy, and I love every second. And then, of course, Ben Wishaw is just perfect as Paddington. So there you go, Chris. What's your number three? Um, this is not necessarily a prison movie, but it is bookended by prison scenes. It is Ocean's Eleven. It yeah. it has twice it, the amount of <laughs> prison as Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah, it's not only because it's coming out of prison and it ends with him coming out of prison. So <laughs> fine. I, mean, uh, I feel like this is this is completely within the lines of what we're I talking agree. About. That's fine. And the coolest prisoner ever, Danny yes. Ocean. Yes. Even him looking with, like, his stubble and everything at the beginning. Like, uh, I look like I've been in prison. It's George Clooney looks like he's been in prison, which means he looks better than, like, 99% of men. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I fine. If I would have thought about it, it would have for sure made my top five. But you know what? Since we're including that, I'm going to retroactively uh, bump Green Mile to five and put Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol at my number four. Oh, that's such a oh, great that, opening prison sequence. When I thought about it, but then I was like, I don't know that it's enough of the movie, but you know what? Whatever. Anyway, just now got to get my Mission opening. Impossible Ghost Protocol amazing <laughs> prison sequence in there. Huh. Also, uh, that line when Danny leaves prison at the end and says... Ted Nugent wants his suit back to Dusty. Gets me every time. <laughs> yeah, Ocean's Eleven is awesome. Yeah, I'm due for a rewatch. Steven Soderbergh is the them, coolest director. Like, I showed them to me and my wife. Watched them all recently. Um, well, I mean, I guess it was over the course of a while. It took. We watched eleven. It took a while. We watched twelve. It took a long time. We watched thirteen, and like the next day, we watched eight. So. Which I never saw. It was good. Yeah, it's one of those movies that probably gets a bad rap just because it's, oh, all-female remake. But it's, yeah, it's just a fun movie. It's not spectacular, but it's good. 
better than 13, but not as good as 12 or 11. That That's a whole other cast. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. But I do think that it kind of lacks the Soderbergh of it, which it's hard. Like, Steven Soderbergh's such a interesting director that any movie that's trying to build off of his work is just going to feel less interesting unless you get somebody, like, on his level. But I did have a lot of fun with Ocean's 8. I didn't expect him to connect it like Sandra Bullock was his sister. Yeah, and I don't, also, I don't know if that was Danny's next. totally not dead. No, that, he's working. That's a, that is a real I mean, that has to have been the plan, right? To make another trilogy and then have George Clooney show up in the third one? Uh, I hope biggest so. crossover event in the history of cinema, just like X Men: Days of Future Past, combining both. Yeah, <laughs> because why would you it's, call it Oceans Eight if you weren't going to make Nine and Ten? It's going to be Oceans Nineteen. Because <laughs> math. There you yeah. go. You're welcome. Did that come out the same year as Logan Lucky, or was it uh, a little bit further apart? I, oh. I, it's if not the same year, very close. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Shane, you're number three? Yes. Cool Hand Luke. This movie, Paul Newman, was one of the coolest screen presents ever. And he just is the essence of magnetism in this, where he gets a whole entire prison yard of men to just fall behind him. And the incredible use of, like, this Jesus allegory that's going on in this film is so well done. Um, the whole entire film is just layered in, uh, that, like, the allegory of, like, biblical terms and Jesus' story. Paul Newman's great. George Kennedy is so fantastic. His dragline is sporting cast. It's such a quotable movie. What we have here is failure to communicate. This man got what he wants. He gets. It's just so perfect. And Boss Godfrey is one of the most intimidating and scary presence in film that even the Coen brothers had to homage him in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, where it's just those shiny reflective lenses and you can't see into the eyes of the devil. So good. If you haven't watched it, you should. I've seen it once when I was very young, so I I am due to see it again. I saw it once in high school and am due for a watch that maybe I would like the movie better this time, but it was an honorable mention. Like I liked it enough. That's an honorable mention. My number two is this is the one that I like mentioned to you guys at the beginning. I didn't know if it was going to get vetoed. I'm sure it won't now, um, but it's V for Vendetta. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think there's enough going. I think there's that at the very least, there's enough going on in that prison sequence, even though it's not terribly long. Um, but that particular sequence is such a turning point for Evie as well as gets us a, almost all the backstory for V. Like it's so pivotal to that movie. Um, and if you want to make, well, if you want to make the argument that Evie is being held by V, that's kind of like a prison anyway, but he's also like, you can leave at any time, but if you leave, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, um, so anyway, like I think that that scene is pivotal enough that I, I would fight tooth and nail to keep it in here. Even though it's a small, relatively small section of the movie, it is the most important part of that movie. Uh, and that movie's excellent. It's like, I think 12 on my favorites of all time list. It's an amazing movie from the Kaskis mm-hmm. who really directed it. It's one of those movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Natalie Portman's great. Hugo Weaving is having the most fun I think Hugo Weaving has ever had on screen maybe priscilla but still 
Like, definitely one of the top, top. Like, he's just so great as V. And I love the supporting cast between um, Stephen Rea, John Hurt, um, Stephen Fry. Love mm-hmm. that Benny Hill, Stephen Fry sequence yes. was so great. <laughs> didn't expect to laugh that much in a movie. And then what happens to him definitely didn't laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> completely different. And that movie hits. Hits hard emotionally mm-hmm. in a lot of places. Is there any any performance from a lead character whose face you never see that is that good? If it if there's any competition, it's also done by Hugo Weaving. <laughs> That's interesting. I guess or, not or counting if you voice go, like, performances, right? Yeah, yeah, not counting. I'm not voice. counting like, voice performances, and I'm not counting like Andy Serkis's like completely CGI Gollum or you know Caesar. Yeah, because they're not completely. It still, it still it's tracks still his facial yeah. features. You know, it's just because you know that's a, a hard movie. thing to do, not being able to show your face while you're acting. But boy, do you feel every single thing he says. Yeah, just fully, fully emoting just with his voice. Yeah. that's Chris. What's your number two? Uh, the Shawshank Redemption is my number two. Yeah, we'll me too. Down. I imagine you would. You what, you two as it's your number two, or you're trumping it? No, that's also my number two, which also means then I guess. You would be after me. Which, did you say this is your number one? I said I'm trumping it. Well, well it's my number it two. It turned out that way anyway because that's the. <laughs> yes, so we can talk about it now. It's yeah. your two, number two. It's my number one. I'm trying to figure out what movie I'm missing now. Um, but yeah. You're going to um, yell at me, but I'm going to be right. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I said at the top, like, this is my three favorite movie of all time, and I don't think Knives Out were the nice guys or prison movies, so I think I'm okay. It, like, it's one of those where it's like, look, I hate, we, we hate this at Sif Pop because it, it implies that you have nothing new to say, but it's like, what else can you say about it? Like, it's 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 excellent every single time you watch it. I only yeah. tried writing that once. Never again. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, we, we hate that phrase here, but because it implies you have nothing new to add, but like, Sometimes it's Sometimes all just you can perfect. do is just say what's already been said. Yeah. Sometimes you could just do and say, look, we all know how great it is. Let's move on. Brooks was here. Nuff said. Hmm. So was Red. All right. I'm going to go what cry am I missing? Goodbye. Well, I know <laughs> I know Shane's number one, but I really doubt Chris is the same number one. Chris, what do you have? Okay, hear me out. Terminator 2. Okay, I mean, like, sure, enough of it takes place in, well, it's a mental asylum, but it's still a prison. prison. It's, it's, it's basically yeah, a prison. So Yeah, but so sure. I, li- I like Terminator 2, but it wouldn't have made my top five. Oh, T2 is one of my favorite movies of it all is, time. Yeah, so it's, I, it's, I definitely yeah. am in this camp. It would have been like a very high honorable mention for me. Yeah. I don't I don't keep um, an updated list of however many favorite movies I have. Uh, but just at, at any one point, if you ask me, even in my own list, like if you, if you have to m- watch a movie right now, like from my list, I will be watching T2 every day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair. It's legitimately one of the greatest science fiction films ever. Also one of the greatest sequels and arguably the best action sci-fi movie of all time to the point where I have been having an on and off argument with my friend Matt since 2014 about this versus the Matrix. So, oh, that's a difficult argument. Which is why it's still going wait, which, nine which, years which, later. Yeah, I don't know where I'm I on whoever that. side is. Team Matrix is the better movie. I That's my friend Matt. So okay, look, look, they're both in my favorites list, right? But <laughs> Matrix is considerably higher. I mean, that's fair. It's it's certainly well, it's not a sequel, so that that gets it points, right? The just the yeah. the inventiveness of of creating that world for yeah. the original from scratch mm-hmm. is hard to I, pass up. 
James, Ca- well, you know, James Cameron every time makes a movie completely revolutionizes filmmaking, except for maybe True Lies, um, but which is still tons of fun. But this, like the special effects in this, incredible. The yeah, great. way that awesome. you take the villain of your first film, completely turn that and make him one of the coolest heroes in movies. And, you know, they kind of had to, because like, a lot changed between when Terminator came out and T2 Judgment Day did in terms of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, his um, career just, went places. Uh, yeah, he wasn't going to be a villain in this movie. Um, no. And, you know, it, I love what it does with time travel and everything. And th- those are brutal sequences of seeing um, Linda Hamilton in that asylum and the acting that she does, she doesn't get enough credit for the performance she did as Sarah Connor, especially in T2 judgment day. So there you go. Yeah. All right, Shane, why is the great escape your number one? So I've watched this. I can't even tell you how many times I used to watch this with my grandpa all the time. This is one of my favorite uh, world war two films. I think it is such a great and it's such an influential film in terms of like that prison break story. And this is based off of true events inspired by true events. Didn't go exactly like this. The cast is insane. You Mm -hmm. wanted to have a famous person from the time the great escape came out. You're probably in the great escape. So Mm -hmm. uh, Steve McQueen and the fact that like they forced Americans into this story because you know, you can't sell in America if there's not Americans in it. You can't go wrong with Steve McQueen and James Gardner. As your Americans to throw in here. Um, sure. And the acting is great. And it seems like a f- such a fun movie until you realize, oh, wait, there's real stakes here. And then this hits you like a sledgehammer in the third act when things don't work out. And there's some harrowing moments. Like Donald Pleasance kills it with that scene with as him as Blythe with what happens to him. This There's great action. It's legitimately funny at times. It makes you feel. And it's just such a well-told story. And for a long film, it keeps your interest because the characters are so interesting and their engagement. Can I make one side note real quick? So this this is just a random thought that I had pop in my head as we've been redefining what a prison movie is. What if you're imprisoned by somebody, but it's not technically a prison? I mean, you're still being held prisoner. Beauty and the Beast. Boom. There you go. I love Beauty. mention time. There you go. Right atop my list, Beauty and the Beast. Um, let me just rattle off uh, a good number of the films that I really enjoy that do involve prison to some regard. Um, as mentioned, Logan Lucky. I think the prison scenes are some of the best scenes because Daniel Craig nearly steals that movie. Um, especially the scene where they're arguing about the uh, Game of Thrones b- book five being out. <laughs> over the intercom it's some of the best uh things you'll ever see speaking of movies where people are held captive not in prison prisoners um i think that um the french dispatch um the prison sequence is my favorite chunk of the movie it's probably the only one i really loved um i mentioned uh as we were talking earlier um the prison scene in deadpool 2 i really liked um one that almost made my list and it pained me to keep it off but the rock uh michael bay's best movie um, I also have the longest yard of the Sandler one. I haven't seen the Burt Reynolds one, but I think that one's actually pretty great. Um, Harold and Kumar escape from Guantanamo Bay. Um, <laughs> um, 
American History X is awesome. Just Mercy is a super great movie that came out in 2020. And um, Law Abiding Citizen is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I slipped up on it earlier, but The Great Raid is a surprisingly decent World War II prison camp movie. And um, you know what? There's a lot of fun to be had in Guy Pierce's Lockout. But uh, it's clearly like the least quality of any of the films we've talked about. But it's if you know what you're getting into, you can have a good time. What did I miss anything? I feel like that's pretty comprehensive. But let's throw uh, in Guardians would... of the Galaxy if we're going to talk oh, about sure, prison, yeah, on prison scenes. I didn't think about it, but sure, yeah. In that case, bump it up to like my number three, probably. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. Uh, I had. I would... uh, oh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I would add Bronson, Tom Hardy. Uh, I think Escape from Alcatraz, Clint Eastwood. That's a very mm. good movie. And I would be very remiss not to mention Papillon with Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman, which is a really good movie. Nice. I'm going to throw it. I originally had this on my list until I remembered Escape from New York, which is Great Freedom, which is a film that came out relatively recently about a group of men in prison in East Germany um, being put in prison for being gay after World War II. And it is an impactful film, to say the least. It's a it's a great film, and um, I wanted to at least shout that one out because I'm pretty sure it's probably the least seen movie that we've probably talked about. Mm-hmm. So go show it some love. I think it's on movie, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Um, that'll do it for that. Then there's our list. Um, spinoff time. What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you're wanting to tell people to check out or to stay away from? Chris, let's start with you. Uh, so as mentioned at the start of the show, I had not seen a movie in five weeks before uh, watching the films for this podcast, and that is entirely because my life has been completely absorbed by Baldur's Gate 3, uh, a, uh, <laughs> a CRPG that came out uh, at the start of this month. Uh, that is everything I ever want in a video game and more. And I think it's been kind of all over the place everywhere so if you're if you're not a gamer then obviously disregard but <laughs> if you're into video <laughs> games uh you probably can't go wrong even if you've never played this style of game before it just has everything like an enormous sweeping story very well written characters it's very highly polished and most importantly of all it is not riddled with microtransactions and downloadable content that you can spend even more money on uh, it's probably the biggest game that's come out recently that does not have any massive um, disqualifying bugs and glitches. and It's just a complete product, which as a gamer, I'm very happy with because that's happening less and less these days. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Abby and I wanted to watch a movie because she hadn't seen 310 to Yuma. We watched Bl- Brawl and Subblock 99. We didn't like it. And we wanted to watch a movie that we knew we loved. Before we watched 310 to Yuma, which we wasn't wasn't sure she was going to love. And she did like it, by the way. Um, but we watched Toy Story 2 yesterday. And I it, look, I just I put in my letterbox review. I think true maturity is admitting that Toy Story 2 is better than Toy Story 1. Um, oh, hey, I'm mature. Yeah. I just, <laughs> Me too. There, there's a there's a lot to love about both of these films. I think they're both excellent. They're both five stars. Um, but two is just awesome i'm still not willing to to say it's better than three although i'll be curious on a rewatch but uh i think true maturity is 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 not not realizing but admitting publicly that toy story 2 is better than the original i think the original toy story is amazing place to start and it was so revolutionary and then they built Mm -hmm. off of it and i think that's what a good sequel should do 
Well, uh, and it has such a great balance of like references. There's so many Star Wars references, even just in sound effects. Where I'm like, that's a lightsaber sound. <laughs> Disney didn't own Star Wars yet. Like that means that Star Wars gave him permission to do this. You know, and it's like that's a you know obviously there's the you know I am your father thing, and then there's <laughs> there's just so much to love about this movie. I'm having a catch with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> also, Stinky Pete, Kelsey Grammer, Loki, yeah. one of the most underappreciated villains in animated movies. Oh my god, he's so dastardly. Um, and and not only that, but you have the um, uh, the the, the scene of Woody getting fixed up, which is one of the best scenes in animated history. Uh, um, Shane, what is uh, your yes? Shane, what is your spinoff? My spinoff is a new horror film called Birth Rebirth, which, based off of the trailer, I was really afraid for where this movie was going to go because, and this is why trailers suck. Um, it gave a vibe off that this was going to go complete crazy horror movie and lose the an very interesting modern Frankenstein story that it's really anchored on. But it doesn't. It holds it back. And this is a film about a young girl who dies of meningitis and her mother is a nurse. And one of the morgue technicians steals the girl's body and performs these experiments on her to bring her back to life. And when the mother finds this, she winds up joining and helping, trying to bring her daughter back to life. And it is a complicated, to say the least, moral story. And boy, does this movie push you emotionally and morally to places where I did not... I I was hoping this movie would go, but based off of the trailers, I'm like, oh, this is just going to turn into, like, a girl turns super evil out of nowhere and starts killing people. It does not go there and it really leans into the interesting ideas behind it and it's really well acted too i think it's coming to shutter at some point soon so there you go how gory is it uh well there's a lot of blood and stuff like that and bodily fluids and stuff like that because it's a bunch of medical experiments sure yeah like there it's not like there's not like torturing and well, there's one particular sequence that was particularly disgusting, but like there's a lot of blood and human organs and stuff like that. And I think it's just the nature of the film and it doesn't shy away from it because it does get pretty technical. When okay, terms so of it's, like, it's, it's more sterile, like, yeah, actual surgical gore rather than yes, violent. Correct. Yep. Okay. I will put that on the list then. Uh, most, I thought most it was really my, interesting. Yeah, most of my trepidation for horror is, is usually about the let's get an easy gross out or, you know, be, uh, you know, just a cheap scare. And movies that get around that and actually tackle, like, the inner workings of, of the people involved, those are those tend to be my gem. Like, I love The Night House, for instance. That's one of my favorite horror movies from the last five oh years. Oh, my God. So if, I watched if, that in a 350 seat theater by myself, and I was not okay. That's an interesting <laughs> setting for for a viewing of that. Yeah, it was a Friday afternoon. Nobody else came to the showing. I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna be so scared, and I was because I'm a baby. I'm pretty sure I also saw it in an empty theater, but I went like in a like a yeah like a Friday you know noon showing or whatever. Didn't know yeah. that. And yes, I definitely remember in the theater, like, look, like, constantly scared that there was something behind me or whatever, because the movie does that to you. Anyways, Guess what? There uh, was. And I love some Nighthouse stuff. But 
that's a wrap. Uh, remember, you can follow Shane at a million different places and Chris on Letterboxd. I'll have their Letterboxd handles in the uh, episode description. You can uh, also follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd, or Threads at Schweitcastle. Um, quick reminder, Sip Pop Writing Zoom is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at StudioDNA.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. And if you want to send a question to Sif Pop, uh, or to if you want to send a question to explore in the B-plot or interested in writing for SifPop.com, uh, get in contact with us for any reason. Uh, email writersroomsifpop.com. Please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, iTunes or Spotify if you're listening over there. Next week, Alice and Patrice uh, will be joining me to talk about Clue and Ernest Goes to Camp. I'm going to um, have to listen to that episode because that sounds like that's going to yeah, be a ton of fun. It's, uh, I, I, I'm, it should be, I hope. It um, should be good. So, And Patrice will be new, but it's been nice talking to her so um should be nice to have her on the podcast and in two weeks joe will be talking two green lantern animated movies with me emerald knights and beware my power so we will see you back next week to listen to or to talk about clue and Ernest goes to camp um but that'll do it for this week thank you guys for spending your time watching movies and recording this podcast as well um really appreciate it and we will have you back on sometime Next year. Of course. Yeah. I'll be back.